Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. We are headed for a sports extravaganza this weekend. Golf, baseball, the final weekend of the basketball season, the play-in tournament, it is all coming at you over this next week. BetOnline is the place to stop in for all of the odds, props, bets, and victories this week. Make sure to use our promo code BLEAVE, B-L-E-A-V, when you sign up to get your 50% welcome bonus when you sign up. BetOnline, where the game starts. There we go. That sounds better. <laughs> I miss that. Every week, it's fun to get the what's going on. Every week, gotta start. I don't even know where that started from. It just eventually, we just started doing it at every podcast. But what's going on? Are you excited for MLB opening day with the Cincinnati Reds who just tore down their entire roster? Can't wait to win 40 games this season. I'm looking. Oh, come on. Come on. For even the worst teams in the history of baseball still win 50 games. And you play in the same division as the shitty Pittsburgh Pirates, who I remind you, their best player who they just signed for the largest contract in the history of the Pittsburgh Pirates got injured in the first inning of the season. (laughs) Oh boy, is that Kebron Hayes? Is that what it is? Yeah, Kebron Hayes got an eight-year seven. This is the most amazing thing I've seen this week. He got an eight-year, seventy million dollar contract from the Pirates, and he got hurt in the goddamn top of the first inning of the first game of the season. Yikes! Yeah, I didn't even see that. I was listening to it on radio before I joined, but I hadn't actually seen the entire uh, the entire game. I, I actually, I, I think I literally turned it off whenever he went up to bat. So and if you got hurt right then, uh, that's actually crazy um, because I, I was listening to that game beforehand. But uh, yeah, I guess I'm getting ready for this game after I guess this podcast is over. Reds and Braves will be coming up right after. So looking forward to it. It's going to be pretty, uh, pretty fun to watch. But, you know, low expectations this season, right? Tickets are super cheap. So I'm probably going to go to a few games, but not going to win That's a lot. the move. That's the move because we have the same thing over here. I live in Sacramento. So Kings tickets were, I believe, $6 at one point. I think I got tickets for $6 plus fees to go to a Kings game this year because they are really, really bad always. And that's the good thing about having a bad team is you can get cheap tickets and go watch your three hitter, which I saw on their posted lineup is Tommy Pham, who is a Padre reject. is now the three hitter for your team. And I have seen that so many times because those are the Padres teams of my entire childhood. We take rejects from good teams and make them our best hitter. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that doesn't hurt. Uh, That doesn't make anything, uh, any of the other uh, moves that Cincinnati made this off season, less, uh, uh, less bad because I mean you lose Jesse Winker, you lose Nick Castellanos, you lose Eugenio Suarez, uh, even just cut his Sugar Wakayama, who granted wasn't very good, but still, uh, I mean they, their entire team is just blown up now. They and, traded uh, Amir Garrett, and uh, you know I think Sonny Gray is now a twin, right? I think they yes. traded Sonny Gray too. Sonny Gray away. Uh, Luis Castillo has been hurt, so he won't be pitching opening day. You got Tyler Molly 
as the opening. (laughs) What a great comedic name. Oh my gosh. Tyler Molly being the starting pitcher for the Reds on opening day is just comedic perfection. And the good news is you're still not worse than the Pittsburgh pirates, right? Um, Is Moustakis still there? Yes. Moose is the starting third (laughs) baseman. Uh, Actually he's he's betting DH today. Um, They have, uh, they got, a guy that I actually hadn't even heard of until the day. Apparently he's playing at uh, Brandon Drury. The third is the starting third. base. <laughs> today. Um, That's a great throwback name. Oh, he, he was a, um, he was a bench player on those diamondbacks teams in like 2017 that had Paul Goldschmidt who uh, like they made the wild card one year and just got destroyed by the, by the Dodgers. Oh, that's a great comedic throwback. I wonder where Brandon Drury has been the last few years. Was he? In, I assume he was in the minor leagues, but I, I, I lost track of him a few years ago in major. I think around the pandemic, I lost track of him. Let's yeah. see. And like I said, I'd never heard of him until the day. So apparently he's starting. Uh, Aristides Aquino makes a return. The guy that hit like what? What was it? 12 straight home runs, but it felt like in what? Like eight. Oh, games? God, that's right. That was was that in 2019 or was that in yes. the the? pandemic season that was 2019 the year before the pandemic god that feels like so recent but that means he's close to hitting free agency that's kind of crazy so he's a two batter of course you got india tommy fam joey Votto, uh, a couple of younger guys like uh, robert stevenson the catcher of course nixon zell the guy that everyone is always so high on until he just got hurt every single season uh and then moose farmer and drury one of the three you got so I mean, you know, it, just that lineup alone, if that's your opening day roster, you can pretty much imagine how this season's going to go with Cincinnati Reds. So I love the Reds. I'm going to cheer for them, but am I investing a lot in this season? Absolutely not. I'm ready for NFL draft. <laughs> Brandon Drury was traded to the Toronto Blue Jays on July 16th, 2018 in the J.A. Happ trade, who I forgot was a uh, was a Yankee for a while there, uh, was designated for assignment in 2020 before signing with the New York Mets. Drury hit 152 over 49 plate appearances uh, before being sent to AAA, recalled by the Mets, and then had four home runs last season for the New York Mets, but is now starting for the terrible, terrible Cincinnati Reds on opening day. Yeah, uh, yeah, that that sums up how this season is going to be for the Reds. That's all I can say. You know, yeah. lose. I would say what three of your best four players. Well, I don't know. That's probably a little bit unfair to Votto. I, I would say three of your best five players are now gone and you replaced them with Tommy Pham and Brandon Drury. That's just, that sums <laughs> up everything that you need to know about the Reds this year. So yeah, it's going to be fun to watch these games, but am I actually going to care that much? Probably not. I'm going to enjoy watching them and have fun and just to, you know enjoy the baseball season, I guess. Is Wade Miley long. gone too? I know he was a magician nope. last year for you guys. Oh, he's on the Cubs. Okay. Uh, too bad. Got no one. Don't, <laughs> don't, even, don't even get Wade Miley, the fun, the fun guy who wasn't that great, but he was at least uh you know, didn't he throw he threw a no-hitter? He was close to throwing a no-hitter. He did throw a company. no-hitter last year. That's what it was. I knew that's why I knew Wade Miley was on the Reds, because I'm sure we spent an entire podcast talking about Wade Miley at some point here. Um, yeah, you guys are going to be pretty bad, but that's OK. It, you, you know, you're going to be bad. And now you get to it, it's like you say, it's better to be good. It's good. It's better to be on two opposite ends than it is to be in the middle. And damned if the Cincinnati Reds haven't been in the middle for a while. <laughs> 
Very true. At least, at least we're going to be so bad now to where we're at least getting a top 10 pick, hopefully in this upcoming draft and maybe <laughs> okay, they can get yeah. a good player. We'll see, I was going to say they're, they're as bad as you guys are, there might still be like six teams worse than you. Cause baseball's really into yeah. this tanking thing. So yeah. there baseball's got a lot of shitty teams this year. But I will say, I mean, as a Reds fan, a lot of the players that are on this team now are a lot of like uh, uh, minor league prospects and guys that like we have known about for a long time, but haven't really got to see play. We got Hunter Green now is going to be one of the starting pitchers this year that I'm really excited for. Uh, Jose Barrero, a guy who was raking in the Triple A's, uh, is now going to be probably the st- team starting shortstop, but he's hurt right now. Uh, of course, Nick Sinzel comes back and get, gets his big shot to be the regular everyday uh, center fielder, which I'm pretty hyped about as well. Uh, of course, we get another season of, of uh, Jonathan India after his Rookie of the Year campaign. We do get to see a couple of like pretty fun prospects down there. Robert Stevenson's going to get a chance to be the full-time uh, catcher as well. So I am pretty excited about all this youth. Nick Lodolo as well, the, the left-handed pitcher. Uh, he's going to be a star, one of the starters probably here down the line as well. So a lot of younger guys that are going to get their chances, and I'm, I'm pretty excited about that but i mean like i said it's just going to be you know this is a not really a rebuilding season but this is a season that i think they're going to develop a lot of young talent and try to work into getting um hopefully some cap spaces trying to finally sign some free agents next year all right so while we're doing the whole cincinnati rotation here i don't think we ever really did a full Bengals recap like we talked a bunch about free agency and all the crazy trades that happened but how do you now that we have some downtime in the NFL calendar? How do you feel about the offseason the Cincinnati Bengals had? Were they did they get Lyle Collins or did he go to the yes. Raiders? Yes, it was them. And Alex Kappa is now a Bengal, and they they actually did moves to improve the offensive line. And people saw last year and they're like, I want to go sign up for that team. I want to play with that quarterback and that wide receiver on the offensive line. Yeah, uh, it's exciting. I mean, Cincinnati definitely had to sacrifice a couple of players to, uh, I think, make room for the offensive line. And I know that a lot of people were pretty upset that CJ Uzama went to the Jets, of course, one of the fan favorites in Cincinnati. Uh, and, you know, you lose a couple of other guys, not, not really many big names, but a couple of guys like Auden Tate, who's a pretty reliable, uh, I think, fourth, fifth receiver on your roster, Darius Phillips, a returner slash uh, backup slot corner, um, Fred Johnson, who's a pretty solid offensive tackle. And I don't think they're going to be able to resign Quentin Spain or Larry Ogunjobi, who are both pretty prominent starters on that last year's team. But in return, you get a pretty solid offensive line now. Now, I won't I won't go on to say that this is going to be a roster that's going to have – this isn't going to be a top 10 offensive line. It's just not. But this roster, this offensive line really went from being – horrid one of the worst in the league to being at least now manageable for joe burrow and that's all we can really ask for because you're not going to flip an offensive line in just one year you know you have to hit on a couple of draft picks you're gonna have to have a couple of really big key signings for that to work and cincinnati has signed a couple of guys but are lyle collins or alex kappa going to be game breakers i doubt it uh i would say lyle collins is you know a top 10 right tackle at, at the moment right now and even though he's had problems in the past with injuries and uh it's not the best pass protector in the game um, he's still definitely a very solid option for Joe Burrow to finally have it now at right tackle. Uh, and I think he's going to be a, a huge improvement over what they've had the last several years in Bobby Hart or um, Riley Reef or Isaiah Prince. I mean, this is a huge upgrade over guys like that who were barely starters to begin with at, at that point. So I'm, I'm pretty pleased about what happened here with Cincinnati. Yeah, they got another guy, Ted Karras, who will be now the team starting center as well, a guy from New England uh, who I thought was was pretty impressive in his time through there. Uh, New England kind of played him almost everywhere. He was almost that 
he, he was a team starting left guard for the majority of the season, but uh, whenever someone was hurt, he was almost always that guy that filled into their spot. Uh, and so he's very reliable across the entire offensive line. I really think he can find a good spot on this roster and be pretty effective. And so overall, I, I really was pleased with how the, the Bengals attacked this free agency. They also got Hayden Hurst to tied in from uh, the Atlanta Falcons on a one-year <laughs> deal as well. And They lost a Gasecki. They, they lost a Gasecki and they added a Gasecki. That exactly. was how they did that. <laughs> And they added the Gasecki on a lot cheaper of a deal, right? So you you uh, you get a guy like Hayden Hurst on a cheaper deal. I think ideally you, you're trying to add another tight end in the draft maybe this year as well. We'll have to see how that works out. But, I mean, this is this is an offseason that I would consider a victory for the Bengals. They didn't absolutely kill it. They've only really signed four outside free agents as of this moment, technically five since I just signed Nick Eubanks from uh, who's been a injector free agent for the majority of, or, you know, for, who's been a practice squad guy for the last season he was, he was here. But I mean, this is still a roster that is, uh, um, you know, has mainly kept a lot of their guys and is now had, and now finally has an offensive line to work with. And for that reason, I, I think this is a win for the Bengals. This is absolutely what you wanted to happen. Uh, if you're a Bengals fan. All right. So, I have a game that I want to play today. And I spent like an hour correcting all the data just to make sure this existed because I found it really, really cool. And so this is one of the ones I'm most proud of when we do this game. So what I have here, since it is NFL draft season, I have all 32 teams percentage hits on their draft picks. So who is the best team at drafting Pro Bowl players over the past 11 years? That's the game I have today. And I want to see how close you can get to this because this I thought this was really cool. So I found an article that had all the data from 2010 to 2019 on draft picks that ended up making a Pro Bowl with the team that drafted them. And then I spent an hour adding 2021 and 2022's drafts into the data and then figuring out who was a first time Pro Bowler, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the game I have for you today. I wanted to get to it off the top because I think it's really, really cool. And it's probably going to spark other draft related conversations that we have here today. So that's my idea for this show. How do you feel about it? I love it. I already have a good idea of a couple of guys I want to put down. Uh, but yeah, I- I'm looking forward to this. I think this is going to be really, really cool. Yes. The, the, by the way, so here's what I have at the disposal here. So I have each team and the number of pro bowlers that they've drafted between 2010 and 2021, the number of draft picks they've had in total and the percentage of hits that they've had. And I didn't want to go back and do all of 2021 because that draft class had like six pro bowlers as rookies or something like that. So if you were one of the lucky teams that had a pro bowler in the 2021 class as a rookie, it basically is like a, a free bonus point. Basically it's like the, the, the number of draft picks I use is between 2010 and 2020. And if you happen to have a pro bowler in 2021, that still counts. I think it's only like chase Pitts, uh, Micah Parsons, one dude on the Lions, I can't remember what his name was. There was one guy on the Lions who was like a third round pick who made the Pro Bowl oh, last year. Uh, let me see. It was, I think it was a third round pick for the Lions. I can't oh, remember. Oh, Ross St. Brown? It wasn't Amon Ross St. Brown. It was an offensive lineman, I think. But oh. maybe that was the 2020 class. Um, I thought there was a there was a random offensive lineman for Detroit who made it. But that might be from 2020. Let's see. Um, 
Maybe it was the 2021 Pro Bowl team. I can't remember what it was now. Oh, it was 2020 draft, but 2021 Pro Bowl team. Jonah Jackson. Okay. Huh. I don't know if you scouted him. He is. Yes, uh, I did. Ohio 20, State. Yep. Ohio State. Sorry. I thought he was 2021 draft class. So the only Pro Bowlers from 2021 were Pitts, Chase, Micah Parsons, Rashawn Slater, Najee Harris, Mac. Oh, God. Mac Jones. That shouldn't count, but whatever. Uh, Mac Jones. And uh, I don't even think your buddy McPherson got a Pro Bowl last year. No, no, that's unfortunate. McPherson should be on the list there if if we are doing this correct, but that's okay. So if you are one of the lucky teams that had one of those people, you basically just get a bonus point that knocks up your percentage for drafting a Pro Bowl rookie this last year. So anyways, that's what I've got. Um, If we're going to guess top five and bottom five, and then I assume we'll have you know, different conversations afterwards, but of note, there is a tie for fifth. So there's technically six teams in the top five in terms of percentage of draft picks that turned into pro bowlers for that team. And there are technically five at the bottom, but like the fourth worst to the eighth worst were separated by like two tenths of a percentage point. So there's a lot of people at the bottom and the top happens to just have a fluke tie. So the people at the bottom are all roughly between 7%. And then uh, uh, actually I'll wait on the thing at the top. Let's guess the, the teams at the top right now. And I, the part I'll throw out for teams at the top is I'll give you the percentages for the top. Number one is close to 19%. Oh my God. Number two is 18%. And then the next closest one at three is 14%. So there are two teams that are kicking ass in the, the using their draft picks efficiently. And then like most of the rest are 13 to 14%. So that's, that's the hint I'll give. There are two teams that are absolutely kicking ass over the last 10 years at drafting pro bowlers. My guess for those two teams would probably be the Cowboys and the Colts. Okay. So the Dallas Cowboys are number two. Okay. Dallas Cowboys are the number two best drafting team over the past decade at 18%. Impressive. 18.1 to be exact. And the Cowboys also, by the way, the Cowboys are number one in number of pro bowlers drafted. They drafted 16 out of 88 total picks. So theirs only goes down slightly because they had more draft picks. So they are 18.1% and they had the most total pro bowlers. Okay. Uh, And and my other pick was the Colts. I'm not too sure if they would be on this list. So because we haven't guessed the bottom ones yet, I I won't say where everyone else falls until after, but the Colts are not in the top five, which is technically a top six. Okay. Let's think about this now. All right. Uh, what about what about the Steelers? Steelers on this list? The Steelers are in the tie for fifth place. So the Steelers okay. are one of the two teams tied for fifth place at 13.5%. All right. They got a nice little bonus because apparently Deontay Johnson made the Pro Bowl last year. Not, not a lot of great receivers in the AFC. Right. Um. I'm going to go with the Patriots, even though I really don't like a lot of their drafts. 
It is not the Patriots. No. Okay. I'm trying to think of a top team. Um, let's go with... Because uh, I know it's... Maybe it is. We'll try... I'll go with the Packers. The Packers in the top. Five. Packers are not in the top five. Oh, okay. It's tough. Um, my other guess would be the Saints. Saints Eight. are also. Oh, I'm sorry. Saints are number four. Saints four? are okay. number four. So the Saints come in at 13.8%. But the Saints thing is they only have had 65 total draft picks, which I believe is either lowest or second lowest of the group. I can double check that one, but I think it's they're either the lowest or second lowest total number of draft picks. All right. What about the Ravens? Baltimore is not in the top five. What is the team that's killing it that I'm not thinking of right now? Um, the team. Yeah. Hmm. I'm going I'm <laughs> to step away from the microphone. Step I'm going to step away from the microphone. <laughs> Because uh, um, I, I know it's not going to be the Rams, right? I don't think it would be. Um, is that a guess? No, not yet. But I know they don't have a lot of, well, yeah, we'll make it a guess. We'll go with the Rams. Yeah, it's not the Rams. The Rams, okay. I, I guess they get the, the boost for like Aaron Donald and Cooper Cup, but overwhelmingly they're an F them picks team. Even that, uh, even that yeah, Super no, Bowl team. Or even that first Super Bowl team, like they they had Jared. I think Jared Goff technically made a Pro Bowl even as a replacement, but you know they kind of traded all the picks to get Jared Goff, and then they traded all the picks right. semi recently, even to get like Brandon Cooks, I guess. I was thinking in terms of percentage, maybe because of all those picks being gone, they might have hit on a lot of those draft picks. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's true. Um, yeah, Jeff Fisher kind of ruined that one a little bit. Right. Uh, I'm gonna go with. Let's see. Trying to think of like teams that have a lot of pro bowlers. Cause I knew the Cowboys would be one. Uh, I had a good feeling that the Colts would be one as well, but surprised they weren't. Um, I think it's only because I just remember that Quentin Nelson, Darius Leonard draft. That was insane. Um, what about the 49ers? 49ers are not in the oh, top five. Interesting. So you've gotten three of the six in the top five so I far. I didn't say the Chiefs yet. What about the Chiefs? No, the Chiefs are the number one team. Yeah, okay. I was I was like, I was gonna say, how about like the greatest dynasty any of yeah. us have seen sans Patriots? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know yeah. why. I I because I, I was just thinking about it and I was like, I mean, I knew Mahomes, Kelsey, Hill, uh, I guess Chris Jones, right? Frank Clark is he count oh, no, Frank Clark was traded, right? Yeah, Frank um, Clark was traded. Um but even some of those older ones, like you get Justin Houston in there, That's I true. think maybe. Yeah. Um, I some of those, the Chiefs, Chiefs were still pretty good for a while before that. Right. I just remember a lot of the bigger assets outside of the big three were free agents. Felt like Tyree Matthew, Frank Clark, guys like that. Yeah, but, the Chiefs yeah. have fifteen. The Chiefs have fifteen drafted Pro Bowlers over their uh, over their time, which that was even surprising for me. I kind of wanted to go back and see. You know who it was. Obviously, Eric Fisher. You know, number one pick in the draft. Eric Berry probably counts for this. That's I think yeah. was Eric Berry. Yeah, Eric Berry was twenty ten. He sneaks just in on this on this list. Um, 
just barely. I would say my next guess would probably be the Seahawks. Because I feel like they draft a lot through the early 2010s. Seattle Seahawks are not in the top six or top five. D Ford also another one. I got so you have number one is uh Kansas City, number two, Dallas, three TBD, four New Orleans, and then tied for fifth, you have the Steelers, but there's another team they're tied with. So you're missing number three and the other team tied for fifth. Maybe the Bengals, because I do know they've drafted quite a few pro bowlers over the last few years. Cincinnati is not. And I will also say Cincinnati got screwed because Joe Burrow technically hasn't made a pro bowl yet. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. I think they would have jumped like five spots if just Joe Burrow had made a pro bowl. Yeah. I knew they'd be close because they had a couple guys there with Adkins, Dunlap, Green, Dalton, all those guys. So I was thinking maybe there's a chance. Um, What about, what about the Vikings? Like the Vikings would be a good team to mention. Vikings are not no. in this list. And I will say the Vikings have a lot. Vikings have 14. They also have the most total draft picks of any team at 111. <laughs> All right. Uh, hmm. I already said the 49ers, right? Yeah, no. Mm-hmm. The Rams. Going up the Seahawks. Um. Let's see. This is tough. Um, I don't think they'd be on here, but no, no, they won't. There's no chance. Mm, This is tough. I like this. Um, These are always so much harder than what you'd think. You think you get them with a couple of names and they're not on the list. Also kind of arbitrary because teams that draft more sixth and seventh rounders are less likely to get hits on the board. So sometimes the numbers can get fudged a bit. Like the idea that one of these teams is better than Baltimore and (laughs) and Seattle and Green Bay is kind of funny. Yeah. Um, I'm going to take a shot in the dark here and go with the Eagles. It is not the Philadelphia Eagles, although that is a good guess because they did win a Super Bowl with mostly players drafted by their team. Right. Um, man. This is brutal. Um, so I'm just missing three and five, right? Yes. Three and five. What about man? I was. What about it's Cleveland? Like, Is that crazy to say Cleveland? Uh, Cleveland had all those draft picks back in the day. Cleveland yeah. is not in the top five. Yeah. Okay. Um, they might be at the bottom. They're either at the bottom or the top, I feel like, because they've had a lot of picks, but they've also had a lot of Pro Bowlers. When you think about it, mm-hmm. some yeah. of them, some of them are sneaky. Some of them are yeah. sneaky. All right. Um, not Minnesota. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, 
I'll say the <laughs> no, I don't even want to say their names. <laughs> um, <laughs> the team that hasn't won a playoff game in twenty years. Yeah, I really don't <laughs> want to say their name because I really don't forget who it is. Would be an absolute um, atrocity. <laughs> yeah, they're probably going to be the bottom. But I'm trying to think of names as I'm trying to think of like uh, other names that are are good. Um, maybe the Cardinals. It is not Arizona. Golly. Although Arizona is better than I thought they'd be. Huh. Given that Arizona until last year had like tied for the second longest playoff drought in the NFL. That is true as well. Yeah. I have a feeling it's another NFC team, but I can't really think of any other NFC teams that would. Well, you've already guessed the entire NFC West. Um, <laughs> Green Bay, Minnesota, Dallas, the Eagles, and New Orleans. I don't think it's Tampa. I thought it's not Atlanta. It's not Carolina. So it has to be AFC by that meet by that process elimination at least. Um, already listed the entire AFC North. I don't think it would be. I'm pretty certain it's not Miami. I don't think it's the Jets. I don't think it's. I mean, may. What about the Bills? I don't think the Bills are up there. Buffalo's gotten bonus points in recent years, but it is it is not Buffalo. Not Buffalo. Okay. Um, so not Buffalo. I already said Indianapolis. Could be Tennessee, maybe Jacksonville. No. Maybe Houston. How about the Texans? It is not the Houston Texans, unfortunately. Oh, I thought I was onto something there because I know they had <laughs> a couple of really good players. Um. I guess I'll go Titans then. It is not the Titans either, unfortunately. Oof, brutal. Um, what about the Broncos? Not Denver either. Golly, who am I forgetting? <laughs> two teams. I mean, so let's see. So you've already guessed KC, Denver, the entire AFC North, Indy, Tennessee, Houston, New England and Buffalo. There's no way it's the Chargers, right? It is not the Chargers, although the Chargers are seventh. Okay. Wow. Chargers were outside looking in. Okay, not the Chargers. I'm I'm fairly if it's another NFC team, I'll be shocked because I can't think of those teams being good at drafting and, and not being successful, at least. Um, unless Let's go back to 2010, if that's a small hint. Does it, it does count? Hmm? Sorry, does it only count one player if they make a Pro Bowl or if they make multiple Pro Bowls? Does it count for each? No, it's just individual players. Okay. Okay. So it wouldn't like, so if, like, say, for example, Julio Jones made like seven Pro Bowls, like, it's only going to count like just the one. Only counts one. for one. Gotcha. In the, in the right. Chiefs example, D Ford counts equally to Patrick Mahomes. Okay. All right. Um, what about. Man. I'll go with the Falcons very hesitantly, but I don't think they'd be here. 
The Falcons are tied with the Steelers. Wow. It, that is at 13.5. And their hack is similar to the Saints. They've only made 74 draft picks, but they do have 10 Pro Bowlers drafted since 2010. They did go to the Super Bowl. You know, I, I know a lot of NFC teams went to the Super Bowl, but their hack to this game is that they have fewer draft picks than, say, Minnesota, who has more Pro Bowlers, but also has 40 more draft picks. Right. Okay. So one more, third, third place. <laughs> Man. Okay. I, the teams I got left, I'm going through it in my head real quick. It's the Raiders, not going to be the Raiders. I'm pretty certain of that. Um, the Dolphins, the Jets. All right, I can give you the list Jaguars. real quick. Jaguars, Jets, Dolphins, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Panthers, Washington, and the Giants. Huh. I'm going to go with the Panthers. It is not the Panthers. No, okay. It's not what, about, what about Washington. It is not Washington either. Although for being Dallas is pretty mediocre and Dallas is number two. So I guess Washington had just as equal an opportunity as Dallas. Right. Man, this is brutal. They also Um, have Dan Snyder. So that kind of works against them. Maybe the Jaguars. No, no, it's not the Jaguars. Unfortunately, although the Jaguars did. I'm going to get the bottom five against the top five. Honestly. Um, (laughs) <laughs> it can't be i refuse to believe it's the jets or raiders refuse those those would be fair assessments so here's who i see left <laughs> so you have jets and raiders uh miami tampa bay the giants detroit and chicago huh I'll say Chicago. It is not Chicago. No. Okay. Chicago, by the way, second fewest total draft picks. They just haven't drafted a ton of uh, pro bowlers. Right. I don't think it would be the Giants. I I really can't name any pro bowlers from the Giants. other (laughs) Giants Uh, haven't made the playoffs in a decade. (laughs) Right. So they're not. We, we made fun of Gettleman for busting on every draft pick. <laughs> Man, I, I guess there's a low key shot that Tampa would be this team. It is Tampa. Dun, 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 Tampa for the win. And part wow. of that is they've had like so, four in the last two years. Right. I knew they had Godwin Evans uh, and a couple of other guys to help them out. Before then, they were so bad. I, I really didn't consider them at first. I also know that a lot of their success came from free agency. Mm -hmm. So there were some other obscure ones that I forgot about, like Anton Winfield was one that I'd forgotten about. Um, It was either one of the corners. It was either Carlton Davis or um, Sean Murphy Bunting. One of those two was in there also, which was shocking to me. Devin White. um, That was also one that I had forgotten about because I think he just made his first Pro Bowl like this last year, which was surprising. Uh, Gerald McCoy, Levante David, like sneaky, sneaky good. Those Tampa Bay Buccaneers, at least also their hack is they have about 80 draft picks, which is fewer than the average, but it's, it's kind of like 10th fewest number of draft picks. They do have 11 
pro bowlers though. So their, their hack also is that they didn't use a lot of their draft picks. That's true. Yeah. All right. That's interesting. I mean, I, I it's I actually like, a, like the percentage, the top, see, it was the Cowboys and the, uh, who's the other team at the top? Kansas city, uh, Kansas city. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I guess that does make sense, especially on Kansas city's part. Um, and then I knew the Cowboys were a great drafting team as well. They've always been considered a great drafting team from their successes. So I, those don't surprise me that much. It's just after that, it's just way out there. That is crazy. I, yeah, I all Pittsburgh in the NFC won. South. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, that is just out of the blue crazy. That, that shocks me that some of those teams were where they were at. But it does make sense, though. I'm not entirely surprised. But at the same time, like the Falcons – no, the Falcons weren't there. Sorry, my fault. Uh, yeah, Falcons. Was Falcons were tied with. Uh, oh, okay. Falcons were tied yeah. with the Steelers. That that is that is just crazy to me. I mean, the Falcons in the two thousand, the early two thousand tens, they were really good. And like, I assume there's going to be some weird ones in there. Like Vic Beasley is going to be a one timer who they drafted. Um, let me see the twenty fourteen Falcons team. I know that was the one that went to the conference finals. Let's see if they had um, some other Pro Bowlers in there. Um, I don't think Matt Ryan even counts for this game, which is interesting. Let's see, 2013. No, 2013, they also stunk, which was the year that they made the conference title game, 2012. Um, yeah, I guess it's a lot of obscure guys for the Falcons, which is interesting. Falcons yeah. also, again, they that's, didn't uh, have as many picks. That's true. That is true, and that should help as well. And also <laughs> bonuses of Kyle Pitts and guys like that, I think would also help as well. Maybe. There's a couple, there are a couple hacks now that I'm looking at it here. So um, one of them, I don't think, no, he wasn't drafted there, but one of them is Dion Jones who made a single pro bowl. Um, one of them is Keanu Neal who apparently made a single pro bowl. Um, the Falcons do hack the system a little bit, but those are both first round picks that turned into stud guys. Devonta Freeman apparently made a pro bowl during that year. They went to the super bowl. Um they so yeah they've got some obscure people in there and then of course like Kyle Pitts bails them out at the end here uh they've got they've got a few weird people Grady right. Jarrett made a couple Pro Bowls yep uh apparently Did Austin Hooper made Pro a Pro Bowl Austin Hooper made two Pro Bowls for Jesus okay <laughs> Austin Hooper made two Pro Bowls <laughs> that is shocking huh Were you saying Hooper is a Gasecki? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes Gaseckis make Pro Bowls, I guess. Sorry, it's a bit it's a bit laggy right now. I'm not too sure. No, that's okay. Yeah, sorry, it's it's a little bit laggy, but yeah, Hooper is a Gasecki for sure. Yeah, Hooper is a Gasecki for sure. Okay, so we've got top five, which is really six. So now we can do the bottom five. And again, I'll remind you, because now I'll tell you where people end up also, but like the fourth worst to like ninth or eighth worst are separated by like a couple percentage points in there. So like, it's pretty clear that if you just randomly guess, it looks like about 7% of your picks end up becoming pro bowlers. So it, they're very, very close together. The, the, the people at the bottom are all very close together, except for one team. That's just miles worse than everyone else. <laughs> all right. My first case is going to be the Raiders. So I definitely think the Raiders are one of the worst. Ugh, Raiders are close, but no cigar. They are seventh worst. No. 
So in an alternate, you know, world where maybe the Falcons don't have so many fluky pro bowlers, the Raiders could have possibly gotten in this list. Yeah. All right. Uh, No Raiders. What about the Jets? Uh, The Jets are dead last. Jets are (laughs) Jets are a whopping 5%. And then the next closest team is 6.7%. So the Jets are really bad. (laughs) Yeah, no, it doesn't surprise me. I knew they were like going to be near the bottom because they they never have Pro Bowlers. It feels like Jets um, have drafted four total Pro Bowlers in eleven years, and uh, wow. the next closest team is six, and the average is around nine. So the Jets are four for eighty in drafting. All right, my next guess is going to be the Giants. The Giants are. Let's see. Giants are sixth worst. So they, at the very last tiebreaker, ended up beating the fifth place team by 0.1%. In fact, you know, it's funny. The team that's in fifth worst was six for 82 and the Giants were six for 81. So the Giants just had one fewer draft pick that wins the tiebreaker. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, What about the Jaguars? Jaguars are the team that was tied with the Giants. So Jaguars are fifth. Fifth. Okay. Um, let's go with. Hmm. I guess I got to go Cleveland. The Browns it is not You know, ironically, Cleveland is right in the middle at 18. Cleveland yeah. is nine well, for 98. It helps that they've done really well recently, right? You got Nick Chubb, Miles Garrett, Denzel Ward. So I understand that. But from all the picks missed before then, you know, I wanted to maybe see if like all those quarterbacks help. Or I, think, much I think those offensive linemen too get some of them. I don't know if Batonio started That's out true. there, but I assume some of those linemen also go for, in their favor. Yeah, Teller did. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Wyatt Teller for sure. Yeah. Um, what about... Let's go with hmm. I don't know if I want to see I want to see an NFC team. Let's go with the Lions. Lions are actually 16. Lions are kind of middle, but again, they've had some they've had some weird offensive linemen. I mentioned uh, what was his name? We said Jonas earlier, I think was his name. I can't remember Jonas uh, something. Jonas Jonah Jackson. Jonah Jackson. Yeah, he's in Jonah there. Uh, Ragnow. Um, he got one in there. That's true. Um, they, That's they've got some Ragnow. obscure ones like Taylor Decker. Uh, I, I forgot Hawkinson made a Pro Bowl in 2020. So they've got some weird ones right. in there to help boost their numbers. And also, they probably would have been better if you count Stafford and Calvin Johnson, too. I think they just missed the cutoff on that one. Yeah, that's true. Um, man, I really don't know if there's any NFC teams on this list. I want to say only AFC teams, feels like, but there's got to <laughs> be an some, NFC team. NFC's got some parody in there. Yeah. Um, let's go with – I want to eliminate all the NFC teams in my head. Uh, so let's go with – <laughs> um, man, 
This is tough. I don't really, I really don't know if there's any NFC team I can think of. So let's see. You've already got 32 as the Jets, fifth worst as the Jaguars. I think everything else is still technically on the table at this point. Yeah, everything else is still on the table. Let's go with the Titans. Titans are 15, right? Smack in the middle. I think you've got now 15, 16, and 18 as your last few. <laughs> do you think you can get 17? Who do you think 17 is? Maybe. My prediction for 17 would be um, um hmm. I probably have already said them. Uh, I'll go with the Rams. Rams are 17th, right? Uh, Rams are 24th. Rams oh, are oh, so they're close what is that long. ninth worst, I think. Um, hmm. Yeah, they they are definitely f them picks. Well, I'm sure if I keep going for the lower ones, I'll eventually get it. Uh, <laughs> let's go with uh, let's go with the Panthers. The Panthers. Panthers are 17. <laughs> let's go. Panthers yes. are 17. <laughs> I got it. Wow, that's like not even close to what I was actually trying to get, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah, this game can be a bit random. These last ones, I think, are going to be difficult. We might have to do some process of elimination on these, but yes, the Panthers were Team 17. Um, What about the Vikings? Vikings are 10th. Vikings are 10th. They have 14, which is the third most, but they have the most total picks, which is 111. (laughs) I think right. it's the most by like six draft picks. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of some obscure teams that like I wouldn't imagine being on that list, but are. Um, did I already say Washington? You said Washington for the top, but you didn't say it for the bottom. Washington okay. is 22nd. It's a tie okay. for 22nd with uh, another team who we mentioned at the, the front end, but we haven't mentioned in the second group yet. Okay. Um. At eight point three percent for Washington, one in twelve picks. What about? I know it can't be. I'm trying to. Th- I'm trying to think of teams that I'm like pretty certain it isn't. What about the Chargers? Chargers are seventh the best. So okay. Chargers. Chargers right. are pretty good. That's fair. The Chargers also don't have that many picks. They have 10 Pro Bowlers, but only 82 draft picks. Gotcha. So for reference, the Chiefs have 80, and they had 15 Pro Bowlers. Right. Okay. Um, I will say... I'm pretty sure it's not the Texans. I don't want to say the Texans. I'm gonna, I'll go with the Texans. We'll just see it. Get it out of the way. It is the Texans. The Texans, wow. the Texans are 30th. The Texans, the Texans are also lots of picks. They're 84, which again, it's, tw- it's, um, it's 12 years of data. So 12 times seven is 84. So they're about average number of picks and only six people. That's, that's what most of these teams are. Like the reason everyone's so close is because 84 is the average number of picks. And so there's a lot of people that are like six for 81, six for 82, six for 84. Like there's a lot of people in that camp and the Texans are also in that group. So Texans are third worst. Okay. So I got two more left, right? Yep. You need fourth worst and second worst. Okay. Did I already say dolphins? 
Uh, you did not say the Dolphins. And the Dolphins are actually surprisingly in the top half. Wow. Dolphins are 14th on this list with the same number of people drafted as I don't, I don't think it, it's 87 players picked. So about an average number of picks and actually 10 pro bowlers selected by the Miami Dolphins. Hmm. None in the last three years, but they have selected 10 pro bowlers. Uh, this might be a crazy take. What about the Patriots? Patriots are fifth worst or fourth worst. Patriots are fourth worst. Wow. Just surprising. Theirs is just, they have a lot of like second day picks. So right. Patriots 90. They're always, they're always like a lot of, there's always a lot of depth to the Patriots, right? They got a lot of like depth guys that are spread out and aren't really like it's a lot of, a lot of Van Noys and Winovich's right. in, in deep in that no list. Stars, all just really good players. Yes. Um, but they did draft seven of them. And I think a lot of them were at the start of the 2010s. Cause I, I did the analysis a couple years back. I think they've only drafted two pro bowlers in the last six drafts. I think JC Jackson broke that recently, but it, it used to be two pro bowlers in six drafts. All right. Um, who am I missing? Just second place? Is that right? Just second worst. What about the Bills? Bills are the team tied for twenty second with Washington. Which if you if okay. you told me that <laughs> if you told me Buffalo and Washington were tied, I'd be a little bit surprised by that. Yeah, but again, you know, I I don't know a lot of their all stars that they drafted at least, right? Um, yeah, I mean, Buffaloes are I guess Tre'Davious White, Josh Allen. Um, who else would be in there? Oh, I think uh, what's his name? Tremaine Edwards, I think, was a Pro Bowler one year. Or is Tremaine, which whichever Edwards brother is on the Bills, <laughs> whichever uh, one's on Tr- the Bills. Tremaine's on the uh, Tremaine's on the Bills. Terrell is on the Steelers, but he's a free agent right now, I believe. There's a third brother. I thought. I thought there are three Edmonds brothers. There might be. I know. Uh, I know Terrell and Tremaine for sure. Yeah, Trey Edmonds is also on the Steelers. Oh wow. Okay. I think. Yeah, Trey Edmonds is on the Steelers. He's like a six-string running back, but he is on the Steelers. The Steelers just like to have two of a three-brother group. Just leave out the best one. <laughs> yep, that is pretty much how they roll here. Trey Edmonds has been there for a while, apparently. I didn't even know that. Well, okay. uh, oh, I, oh, I should, well, I should clear up and say TJ Watt's definitely better than JJ Watt now. I should clear that up before, <laughs> I, before I get screamed at. But like in terms of like hist- historically, you know, JJ Watt was the older brother. But yeah. You get the point. Yeah. <laughs> Trey Edmonds is on the Steelers practice squad as a running back. God. Oh, yes. That's right. That's right. I forgot. I, I do know Trey Edmonds, the running back. Okay. Yes. That is apparently the third brother. So yeah, Buffalo 22nd. They had a they had a rough first, they had a rough start, a rough start to the decade, but they've turned it right. around recently with one, you know, second try on a coach and second try on a GM. They turned it around. At least the the new ownership group. I'll say the Eagles, my next guess. Eagles are 21st. So the Eagles had eight. They just had a, a lot of draft picks in there. Um, so, I mean, the Eagles also, I guess Lane Johnson was acquired from outside the organization. Kelsey might, I uh, know Kelsey's 2011. He would count on this list. Um, Carson Wentz. Uh, yeah. I, those, I think Josh Sweat is I, I, doing research. I think Josh Sweat and Brandon Graham also made Pro Bowls recently. So recent picks have worked help. out kind of well. That's true. Yes. Um, okay. So I already said the Giants, right? Mm-hmm. Giants were like in that group that was almost tied for sixth worst. Same thing with the right. Patriots. Like the Patriots are like 0.1 behind the Jaguars. We're like 0.1 ahead of the Giants. It's like right. just a weird coincidence. Okay. 
Um, trying to like get teams out just in my brain right now because I know it can't be Falcons, Barty, so the Buccaneers, the Saints. Yeah, it's not going to be in the NFC South. Right. It's not going to be in the NFC East. Right. Uh, there's one team left you haven't guessed in the NFC North. Um, that would be the Bears. Right. Yeah. Everyone in the AFC East. Uh, <laughs> if you really want to break your heart, you can guess the Bengals. <laughs> um, it can't then, be. I refuse. It's not. It can't it's be. Not, I, no, I it's not. No, it's not. But yeah. the, the, they are pretty bad. They're eighth worst, but they're not wow. the worst worst of the group. Okay. There's so, just, they've had a hundred draft picks yeah, over the past. That's what I was going to say. They, they drafted a lot. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Um, I don't want to say it's the Bears, but maybe it is. Bears actually been pretty good. Bears are yeah. Bears are ninth. So yeah. they had second fewest or third fewest number of picks at 70, and they've had nine pro bowlers. So Bears don't draft much, but when they do, relatively successful. And they should also have 10 because the pick they traded to move up one pick for Mitchell Trubisky, uh, they traded a third rounder that ended up becoming Fred Warner. Yeah. The, I already guessed the Titans, right? Yeah, you guessed the Titans. They were the 15. Who am I leaving out? There's, there's one. This team would probably surprise you. This team probably surprises you. I think this will prompt further conversation afterwards. Really? Um, I it can't be the Ravens, right? No, no it's, it's not. not Baltimore. No, Baltimore, okay. although Baltimore does work into this equation where they've had. Um, I saw a thing recently. They've had more compensatory picks than any other team. Uh, over the past like 15 years, it's like they've had 20 something compensatory picks while the Jaguars have had zero. There's a really wow. interesting science behind that. Like compensatory picks are the way that teams kind of work within the margins in the NFL. There might be a larger competitive advantage than we like to admit. But Baltimore's really good. Baltimore 13 Pro Bowlers in the last 11 drafts. They also got to cheat a little bit because of Devin Duvernay making it on special teams. <laughs> True. Um man, this is tough. Um it's definitely not that team. I'm I'm going through my brain right now. Who have I not guessed yet for the bottom, right? Um mm-hmm. I haven't guessed so- Pittsburgh. I haven't guessed. Yeah, but we know Pittsburgh's in the top five, though. So yeah, yeah, top five. Oh, yeah, obviously. Right. So you got everyone in the NFC North, everyone East. So I think the only options I can see left, and again, I'm going to mention the team in here. So if I don't mention one, that's on my that's my bad. The only possible options left I see are five options. It's Denver, Indianapolis, Seattle, San Francisco, and Arizona. Okay. Uh, first guess, Arizona. It is not Arizona. Arizona is 13th on this list. Uh, they, they also, if they had just drafted more late round picks, they'd be up here, but they tend, Arizona t- trends to trade up in the draft a lot. It's an interesting trend. Like in day three and day two, they trade up in the draft and that costs them picks down the road. Right. Uh, my second guess is Denver. It is not Denver. Denver is 
eight for 89. They are 9% at drafting. They are 19th. All right. Uh, Third guess is the 49ers. It is not the 49ers either. 49ers are 20th at nine and 101. So you're, you're down to the Colts and the Seahawks. I wanted to, I thought the Seahawks hit on a lot of their picks. I'll say the Seahawks. Nope, it's the Colts. Wow. It is I've the Colts. Always thought the Colts drafted well. I think Ryan Grinson, who is still the worst general manager in the history of the NFL, according to Pat McAfee, kind of did them dirty a little bit. But the ones they hit on just happened to be generational stars. They've only drafted six pro bowlers in the past 11 years. And those happen to be like Darius Leonard, Quentin Nelson, Andrew Luck, who are all like almost Hall of Famers. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy, though. Wow. That's interesting. I mean, uh, that has surprised me a lot. That was like one of the last teams I was going to guess. That, that They were one of my first guesses for uh, um, uh, the teams that I thought would be in the top five. Mm-hmm. So for them to be at the bottom five instead is shocking to me. That's what I was thinking. That would be quite shocking. So they also have T.Y. Hilton. T.Y. Hilton is also in the mix there. Um, Jack Doyle doesn't count because he was undrafted, unfortunately. But Jack Doyle did indeed make multiple Pro Bowls in his NFL career, which surprises me. Yeah. Okay. Um, What about maybe like, uh, I was thinking some some of their corners. What's this? Kenny Moore, did he not? Kenny Moore was signed from a practice squad. He was on the Eagles and the Patriots practice squad when he first signed. Interesting. Okay. Um, Yeah. I mean, I'm going through, so it's T.Y. Hilton. It's Darius Leonard. It's Andrew Luck. It's Quentin Nelson. Um, DeForest Buckner doesn't count because DeForest Buckner was traded. Um, Ryan Kelly is the fifth one. Uh, Ryan Kelly's made a few Pro Bowls in there. And... I think the last one is, let's see, um, Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor is the last one. Man, you would so think that's they'd it. have more. I mean, those are the people we all think of when we associate the Colts, right? Like, they're ones that have made multiple Pro Bowls. They just don't have right. the weird, like, fluke one-time Pro Bowls. It's either they hit really well or they kind of, like, flame out spectacularly. Yep, that's true. Uh, it's it's interesting. interesting. Yeah, it is. Yeah, because because it seems like the average, like if you do about eighty four picks, it seems like the average number of hits for like teams that are like kind of guessing is like between seven and eight percent. So like one out of every like eleven, twelve, or thirteen draft picks end up becoming a Pro Bowler if you're just kind of guessing by chance. And that's kind of interesting to think about over the past 11 years. If that's kind of the number that we're talking about is like, if you make 11, 12 or 13 picks, odds are that you're just going to luck your way into a pro bowler in that mix. Right. Yep. All right. It does make a lot of sense. That was a fun game. It's tough to guess. I mean, cause like, I mean, I definitely know a lot of the players that did make a pro bowl like a lot of those names didn't surprise me by any means, but it's, it's really just the fact that like, you know, you don't you really don't consider just a team how a team drafts. You really just consider how uh, that draft went for that individual uh, or or something like that. And that, that's what's interesting for me, I guess, is, is figuring yeah. out which teams have been historically better. I mean, and how teams perform afterwards. Like Dallas is exponentially further ahead of everyone, and yet, of course, Dallas's 
as I point out, during the 15-year run where 12 different franchises made the Super Bowl in the NFC and twice it was the 49ers with two completely different teams where like Joe Staley was the only link between the two teams. Like the Cowboys are one of the four teams that hasn't gotten to the Super Bowl or even got to the conference championship game, which is interesting given how well they've drafted. Right. It's astounding. Honestly, it's only a matter of time for Dallas. In my opinion, they, they got to go eventually. Um, That's what I'd um, assume. I mean, uh, of course, like San Francisco and Green Bay are kind of like the dynastic teams of that era. I know like and the Saints, too, were like, you know, they're kind of in the mix there, but altogether, they, they're not like they're, we don't think of those teams as like all time great dynasties, even though like the Packers made six conference championship games and the Niners made what is it like five conference championship games in 15 years. It's just those are the best teams we associate. And even they weren't super great at drafting like San Francisco 20th, Green Bay 12th, Tampa, uh, New Orleans was top five. But that was just because they're they had the fewest number of draft picks of any team. That's crazy. Wow. And that is that is really interesting, though, for sure. I, mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed that game. I like, I like games like that. They are a lot of fun. That one took some work to to finish it because the top the 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 decade the 2010s decade that data was available. I just had to add in the 2020 and 2021 drafts afterwards so that the Cowboys could get the bump for drafting all these Pro Bowlers in the last two years. They had three in the last two years. They drafted right. Diggs, C.D. Lamb, and Micah Parsons in the last two drafts, and they've all made Pro Bowls. Right. Yeah. And still, they haven't won a playoff game since. That's crazy. yeah, it's so so weird, right? Like, it, by the way, they also got Dak in the fourth round, and obviously right. he's a Pro Bowl quarterback. And Zeke, Jalen Smith, Leighton Vander Esch, Demarcus Lawrence, all those offensive linemen—they're really good at drafting. Like <laughs> Jerry Jones is really really good at drafting. I guess that's that's, that's really unfortunate <laughs> for a cowboys fan i'm I with a lot of cowboys fans i mean their roster is always really really solid like you a lot of people i always see that people have dallas that like you know they're almost always winning the nfc east for a lot of people predicting everyone thinks they're always really solid everyone thinks they're a sleeper in the the playoffs come playoff time and it's always the same result always just somehow they choke or somehow they lose something happens it's just unlucky for the fans well, especially in the last five years or 10 years, just because the Eagle or I'm sorry, Washington and the um, Washington, and the Giants have been terrible. Like I remember when I was like a little, little child, it was always the thing like every four years, the NFC East alternates one year. It's Dallas, one year, it's the Giants, one year, it's the Eagles, one year, it's Washington. And that happened for like 12 years. And now Washington, and the Giants have been so bad for like five to 10 years now that you know, the division becomes that much easier for a team that's, you know, doing much better. Again, looking at the drafting numbers here, Dallas second, Eagles 21, and Eagles won a Super Bowl in that stretch. Eagles 21, Washington 22, Giants 27. Like they're just far and ahead should be dominating that division. Right. Yeah. It's it's astounding for sure. I don't, I don't really like I don't know if drafting is like a vital part of your organization winning. Obviously you need good free agents as well to be able to have a good balance. But for, for it seemed like Dallas, who I mean, also has gotten a couple of really noticeable free agents over the years too. They've had a couple of big time signings. You would think that they would eventually have everything clicked together for them at one point. Yeah. I think their thing is always just, you know, it's been a lot of Tony Romo's and Dak Prescott's, which are top 10 quarterbacks, but not top five quarterbacks. I think that's always just been their thing that keeps them short. 
Yeah, it's so important to always have that quarterback that you know can lead you to Super Bowl, uh, you know, for your team. And I don't, I don't think Dallas has really had that in the last couple of years, even though they've had like they, they've been at the line, literally like the cutoff line for a Super Bowl winning quarterback for the last several years. It's so unfortunate for Dallas, but same time i mean that's just kind of how it goes sometimes sometimes you and you mentioned it the perfect the perfect balance is getting draft picks and signing free agents and the cowboys always re-sign their draft picks so they never supplement with like outside free agents except for that one time they did in 2014 and you know the des caught it game should have got them to the nfc championship but like the one time they did they pretty much almost got to the nfc championship and it's you know re-sign zeke re-sign amari trade amari sign michael gallup it's always, you know, resign the people that they draft really well. They don't, they don't draft people and then let them leave in free agency. They usually just resign their people, even down to like Des Bryant and DeMarco Murray for a time. That is very true. And that probably puts another big factor into this as well, right? Since they actually keep the players on their team, because what I, I guess I never asked, but that, that would have been a good question to ask. Does it count if a player uh, like ends up leaving the team and making the Super Bowl later or making a Pro Bowl later on, does that count on the list? Not according. I, I don't know. They didn't specify with the data I got. I didn't count it as like they left and, and made a Pro Bowl later. Like there's a, what's the offensive lineman for the Titans? It's like Roger or something. I forgot what his name is. Um, it's Roger like Saffold or something like that. But um, he was that, huh? Yeah, Roger Saffold is a lineman for the Titans, but like he made his first Pro Bowl last year and he was drafted like 2010 by the Rams. And then he, he went to the Titans and now he's on the Bills. And it's just like, okay, he doesn't get to count because he was drafted by the Rams like eight years ago. And yeah. doesn't, you know, the team could get credit for it later, but I felt like it defeated the purpose if someone else gets your player and develops right. them into a Pro Bowl. I feel like that kind of defeats the purpose of you drafting and developing talent. Yeah, you you already give up on them. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I guess kind of Kansas City being so far ahead and the Jets being so far at the bottom is interesting just because of the, the dichotomies of those franchises. The Chiefs have been model of success for a decade and the Jets have not made the playoffs in a decade, so... The Jets, the Jets one is the one thing that makes perfect sense. The Jets being 32 and the Chiefs being one makes perfect sense. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really think like you you look at um I mean, all, all these teams that, that have made the Super Bowl over the last few years come off of very successful drafts, right? We, we we see that very often. Unless you're a team like the Rams who say F them picks, obviously, they, they just go around and just trade it for other star players that's that's maybe the exception that the rams have never are one of the very few teams lately that haven't really used uh draft picks as like a way to win but most of these teams who end up making the super bowl or something like that usually has an influx of talent that they got from the draft or are built around and then they add free agents to kind of like build around that core of draft picks they have and that's what makes them successful so i really think um for most teams like the jets who have never really hit on those picks that's a re big reason why they've never been very good because they never really had that core they could build around firmly yeah and the other two that i thought were interesting were seattle and san francisco just because if you ask me who have been the best i mean you said the same thing with the colts like who have been the best drafters over the past decade it was those four years where the colts built the legion of boom and it was those four years that John Lynch was drafting at the top of the draft, like pretty much every year. Like it felt like those two teams built the only two teams that like were the only two like dynastic runs in football that didn't have a franchise quarterback. I know Russell Wilson got better later, but like 
Russell Wilson during those first years in Seattle was not like an elite quarterback by any stretch of the imagination. Right. And so I was interested that they went down because there's their thing is just large sample size. Like if you take the three or four year windows that like we'll get John Schneider and Pete Carroll maybe in the Hall of Fame and we'll maybe get John Lynch into the Hall of Fame. Like if you look at those times just specifically, like they were really, really good at drafting, but they didn't have the consistency, I guess, to keep going. Yeah, and it's as so some teams are. Some teams have a really hot streak, like how the Colts, I guess, have had a hot streak lately that makes you think they're a lot better. But in reality, in the grand scheme of things, maybe they aren't because b- beforehand they weren't hitting on a lot of those picks either. Yeah, no matter how good Chris Ballard is at maintaining flexibility and drafting all pro players in the draft, they still cannot overcome the Ryan Grinson curse, who, again, Ryan Grinson committed crimes against football for how he destroyed Andrew Luck's body and deprived us of 10 years of that dynasty in Indianapolis. So unfortunate. Yeah. I miss the Andrew Luck days. Yeah. Someone's got to make a documentary on that at some point. It's, it, it's the modern Barry Sanders moment, except we just never heard from him ever again, except when he appeared during the national championship game out of this nowhere. Year. Yeah, just yeah. Out of nowhere came and And I was like, what in the world? Where have you been? Like, It's literally like seeing a Sasquatch. It was literally like seeing a Sasquatch in the wild. I was like, oh my God, it's Andrew Luck. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, I was just as shocked as you were. I, I was like, there's no way this guy's here. All right. I got, I guess we have football related stuff we can also talk about here, which is the wide receiver market is exploding. It is exploding right now. Um, By the way, Brandon Cooks, breaking news as we're recording, Brandon Cooks gets a two-year extension from the Houston Texans uh, while people were talking about trading him. Uh, Did you see the report that DK Metcalf could be going for a the 10th overall pick was offered by the jets for DK Metcalf. Wow. Um, yeah, I did not hear that, but that is definitely an interesting report. Yes. Apparently um, this apparent. So the report is the Seahawks are, have, have decided for now they're not taking offers on Metcalf, which why? Um, but at the same time, the, the jets are apparently offering the Seahawks, the pick they traded for Jamal Adams in exchange for DK Metcalf, which Okay, I guess I guess we're I guess the wide receiver market has exploded so much that we're trading top ten picks for DK Metcalf now, right? Uh, but I mean, like I I do understand. I guess you could say uh, like what what like why that would entice a team like the Jets because they desperately need a good re- receiver, right? And they've been on the market like that for a while. Plus, they already have two picks like that. Um, but that's a that's an interesting topic of conversation because I really don't know if DK Metcalf is worth a 10th overall pick, right? I mean, he's definitely a good receiver uh, without question, but like, is he worth the idea of you maybe getting a generational type player at that pick? That's the biggest question I think we have to ask ourselves. Is that, is that like absolutely going to be worth it? Um, I think it depends how close to a generational type pick DK Metcalf is, right? So if DK Metcalf is worth a 70% chance at netting a generational player, then do you trade for DK Metcalf? If you're the Jets and you want to take a wide receiver at that spot anyways, um, I don't know if the 10th pick would be the only thing involved. They just mentioned that the trade would include the, the number 10 pick. I'm just fascinated that the wide receiver market changed so quickly where everyone wants a wide receiver that they can connect with as they're seeing you know, the... The Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow situation or Brady and Gronk, the connection that they have. And like 
putting tons of weapons around these guys. Like I'm fascinated by how like Devonte Adams and Tyree kill and also Christian Kirk, <laughs> Christian Kirk kind of started the spiral here, but like that's kind of changed the entire wide receiver market now where not only are you getting wide receivers for, you know, the contract values that they're at, but you're also trading picks to get all of these star wide receivers and everyone's apparently desperate for a star wide receiver. Yeah. Uh, I mean, as you can see now, I mean, every team that's at the top has a star wide receiver on their team, right? Like, I mean, there's a couple of, of examples where like teams that are mainly run heavy, like maybe the Ravens or the Colts, but even then they have like a, a good option on top of that. So that helps in the passing attack. Like you have Mark Andrews on the Ravens, uh, for example, you have, um, you have, you know, maybe not exactly for the Colts, but they also haven't really been that successful either. You had a, one of the best rushers, rushing seasons of all time last year, and Jonathan Taylor's incredible season in the 17 game uh, season last year. But at the same time, they didn't have a lot of weapons outside of that to really attack. So they struggled a lot because they weren't able to have a really good passing attack. Look at teams last year that had a lot of success. You had the Debo Samuel, uh, George Kittle with the 49ers. You had Cooper Cup, of course, Triple Crown winner crown winner with the uh, Los Angeles Rams. You had Jamar Chase with the Bengals. You had uh, Jamar Chase and T Higgins really with the Bengals. You had, um, of course, Tyree Kill and, and Travis Kelsey with the Chiefs. You had uh, all these teams who had just great weapons all around. You had uh, a really good season from Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller for the Raiders, and that's why they ended up being pretty solid and making the playoffs ultimately, really. Uh, you know, you, you had a couple of examples where, like, there were teams that were really reliant on a couple of these weapons that were really, really good, and that helped them reach to that next level, right? And the Jets don't have that next-level receiver right now. They have Corey Davis. That's the receiver. Uh, or Elijah And Moore. Elijah – yeah, I was going to say, and Elijah Moore. And also Braxton Berrios as a number two. <laughs> Right. So, so the question you have to ask yourself, if you're the Jets, is from the Jets' perspective, I understand this because I think the, the, the 10th pick in the draft is probably going to be a receiver. Would you rather have DK Metcalf, a proven good X receiver that you could have on your team, or are you going to rely on a rookie like Garrett Wilson, a guy that maybe could be that guy, could be better, but is he going to be reliable enough to where you're going to trust yourself to make that pick and hit? I'm not too sure because obviously we just discussed this. Jets have not been successful with getting Pro Bowl talent with their picks, obviously. And at the same it's time, also would you pay for it right like it's because dk metcalf is going is is up for a new contract this is why he's in trade talks and why we have the breaking news today because it's april 7th and this is how we do this debo samuel has unfollowed the 49ers and deleted 80 photos from his social media um, of the 49ers so he's obviously up for a contract mclaurin is up for a contract like if i'm these teams at least listen, because it seems like the wide receiver market has exploded in a way it never has, you know, consistently. Like, obviously, the, the three big ones are Adams, Hill, and Diggs, who just got $25 million a year from Buffalo. So it's like that explosion of the market means like teams are like able and willing to pay $25 million a year for a wide receiver and give up draft picks. Yes. Yeah. No, there's, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, but it's just a safe move for the Jets, right? This is already a team that has plenty of cap space so they can afford DK Metcalf if need be. And you want that guaranteed talent. Like if any team asks, like if a team that has, that's in need of wide receiver is asked, are you going to pay DK Metcalf $25, 26000000 million to be your receiver? I mean, that I think a lot of teams are going to say, yes, they're going to do that. They're going to pay, they're going to pay him that much to be the number one guy because 
obviously these teams are in need of number one receiver. DK Metcalf is good enough to where he can lead you as wide receiver one to Super Bowl appearance. I, I firmly believe that. If you have good enough quarterback play, if you have good enough players around DK Metcalf, he can be the number one guy for you in a Super Bowl team, right? I think it's the ultimate goal for the Jets. Obviously, every team wants to make the Super Bowl. And I think that's why they were so adamant on trying to get DK Metcalf that they would get a, a pick as high as pick 10. Um, because I think that's all I can, like I said, pick 10 is probably going to be a receiver anyways. They're probably going to want a receiver. And though it would definitely be nice to hit on a receiver and, and have to pay him, what, $15, 20000000 million less than what you would if you would trade it for DK Metcalf, it's never a guarantee. And with the this, with this receiver class, I'm also not really sure if there's a receiver worth drafting top 10 this year. I have a couple of guys I really like. I like Garrett Wilson. I like Chris Olave. I like Traylon Burks. I like Drake London. Do I think any of these guys are worth pick 10? I wouldn't say necessarily they are. I, I think there's going to be better options there at pick 10. I, I would prefer a, um, I, I prefer a Derek Stingley. I'd prefer a Kyle Hamilton. I, I think there's going to be better options there for the Jets at the 10th pick. And I think if you were able to, if, if you're ideally able to get a guy maybe in the round two and have a DK Metcalf instead, then all of a sudden you have a very good core of receivers that you can work with. So on the Jets part, I understand wanting to trade for him. I think it was a, it was a smart idea for them. But you look at from the Seahawks point of view, absolutely you're not going to get rid of DK Metcalf for the 10th overall pick, even if you like the pick, even though it makes sense maybe on paper. I think if DK Metcalf is is going to be your future at wide receiver, which it seems like he is, he's one of the biggest building blocks, you should try to keep him. So that part's interesting because I, I know you said like DK can lead them to a Super Bowl as a wide, he could be a Super Bowl wide receiver one. And the interesting part about it is we've had the conversation for a while about how much the quarterback makes the wide receiver, the wide receiver makes the quarterback. And we were obviously talking about that after the Tyree kill trade and also the Devonte Adams trade, which I know we talked about a little bit, but we kind of are under the impression like the quarterback helps to make the wide receiver. And so, you know, we both didn't really like the Tyree kill addition, although like they might use Tyree kill as like a running back type is like a, you know, a weird way of navigating that offense and using him for yards after catch. But neither of us like love Tua in that way. And I know you obviously still think Zach Wilson is going to be at least a respectable quarterback in the NFL. And I think the Jets want to give him all the opportunity in the world to succeed. It's just interesting how uh, the at what cost thing is interesting because, you know, the Dolphins are giving up essentially two first round picks for Jalen Waddle because they had to trade up from 12 to six and gave up a first round pick. So two first rounders for Jalen Waddle a first and a second for Tyreek Hill and $120 million to Tyreek Hill. And I find that amazing that you do that investment just because you can't guarantee the quarterback. The best way to figure it out is to try and put as much talent around the quarterback as you can. And I feel like that's kind of where the jets are is, and also where teams like Washington are and, where teams like Denver were when they drafted all those people to put around Drew Locke, and now they're going to be Russell Wilson's weapons. I find it interesting how it's it's like, how much is it the quarterback that the wide receivers play with, and how much is it the wide receiver themselves being, at, being the great talent? Because I don't know if trading for DK Metcalf or signing Jarvis Landry or trading for Debo Samuel solves all your problems if you're the 49ers, or I'm sorry, if you're the Jets. I just don't know if it's better than the alternative options. And that's the interesting part about all these wide receivers getting gigantic contracts. The same thing with the Jaguars signing Christian Kirk is like, 
Well, that doesn't solve your problems, but at least it's better than nothing for, for Trevor Lawrence. I just don't think it makes that significant of a difference if the quarterback is what the quarterback is. That, that's a very fair point. I mean, we, we've seen this with, with, with guys like, you know, Rodgers. They, they've, they've been able to carry other supreme talents, wide receivers. So there is an argument to be made that you don't need elite wide receivers to have a, a great team. But at the same time, you know, Zach Wilson's a fine, I, I, like you said, I, I believe in Zach Wilson. I still think he can be a fine quarterback. I was very high on him in the draft this year. He would be my QB1 in this year's class. Let's, let's not like get it twisted. I would think he would have been the best quarterback in this class had he been in this class. So I'm, I'm still a firm believer that Zach Wilson can be fine and, and, and be good. Um, am I going to trust him to, to make players around him better? That's the question I want to ask myself, and I don't. I don't think Zach Wilson is a talent that's going to make everyone around him better. He's not Mahomes. He's not Aaron Rodgers, obviously. I wouldn't even say he's a Joe Burrow. He's definitely not. So he's going to be a guy that's probably going to be at his prime, maybe a top 15 quarterback in the league, in my opinion, at best. So if you if you're a team that has a top 15-ish quarterback, if you're a team that has someone like, for example, um, a Kirk Cousins or a Derek Carr on your roster, how are you going to win a Super Bowl? You're going to build around them with the best possible assets you can get, right? I think in this case, DK Metcalf would make sense as one of those assets, maybe. You want to get a great offensive line around them. You want to get a great defense around them. And that's where the Giants should be building right now. She guaranteed good assets to build around um, Zach Wilson because it will it will certainly help if you hit on your picks. I'm not going to lie; that, that's obviously what you want to do. <laughs> but you can't, you know, the Jets aren't trusting themselves to do that. And honestly, I don't trust the Jets to do that themselves. So you get guaranteed good talent like a, like a DK Metcalf to help develop alongside Zach Wilson. That would make a lot of sense in my eyes. Um, so it just depends on where you're at as a team, I think. And right now the Jets need guaranteed talent before they're going to ever be a contender for the playoffs, obviously. And I really don't know if they want to risk the chance of missing a couple of draft picks and all of a sudden you're wasting another quarterback's career, right? That is fair. It's just instead of trying to get the draft picks, they're just going to say, we're going to go all in on DK Metcalf, which as much as I love DK Metcalf, like the difference between wide receivers like four and 20 or four and 15 in the NFL is not as significant as most people think it is. Like you could make an argument. AJ Brown is a top five wide receiver and a top 15 wide receiver. And both are like actually kind of legitimate cases because like outside of Hopkins and outside of in the past Devonte Adams, although we'll see Devonte Adams with a less than Rogers quarterback and, you know, outside of those guys at the very top, it's like, Mike Evans, Keenan Allen, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, like all those guys are eerily similar to each other in like they do different things, but they're all like relatively similar in that way. I just don't think it solves all the problems the Jets have, especially if they're going to give up like the premium picks that usually lead to success from a rebuild. But I also understand drafting is a crapshoot. And I was pounding on the table last year. If I'm Baltimore, instead of drafting Rashad Bateman, why don't you just trade for Michael Thomas? And I guess it's kind of like at what cost situation it's now that wide receivers are getting 30 million a year contracts and you have to give up first round picks and more to get them. It seems like they're nice to have, but that's not going to solve all your problems the way it seems like you're giving up assets to have it solve all your problems. Right. And I guess it's important to know one, like what the actual trade would be had it gone through and two, 
what would their pick at 10 end up being before we end up having this conversation of it? Would this be worth it or not? Because maybe in your eyes, they're looking at getting a Derek Stingley type player who could be a generational cornerback talent, right? And obviously that would make it a lot more skewed because you're getting an elite mm-hmm. cornerback maybe at a much cheaper deal that could definitely improve the defense far more than what a DK Metcalf would had you trade the pick. And there's also the case where maybe it's a Garrett Wilson. And I don't know if I'm going to take a Garrett Wilson over a DK Metcalf at pick 10. So if it's just pick 10 for DK Metcalf straight up, you know, maybe there's an argument to be made that it's much safer to pay the extra couple, you know, several million dollars for a more reliable player than what would be the trade for a rookie. But it just depends, like I said, who the pick's going to be and what the overall trade package would have been. So, I mean, well, I think I was going to say, since you're correct about that part, um, we can kind of look at it in the context of the Tyree Kill and Devontae Adams trades, right? Like, so the the Packers and Chiefs have a chance to rebuild their receiving cores, which we've talked about a little bit. So I guess that's kind of like the the eye we can start to see to see if this strategy works out and if we've been undervaluing wide receivers all this time. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's tough because DK Metcalf is still a talent that we, I think, has to have a lot to learn about because I would argue he hasn't even touched his surface of what he could be. I mean, this is a guy that has literally a lot of different tools to be a great receiver, but is still working on a couple of other parts of his game that he hasn't really fully developed yet. So is he going to reach those points? I don't know. I think DK Metcalf right now is a borderline top 10 wide receiver, and he could end up being a potential top five receiver in the future once he reaches his prime, I think. Now, is is that going to be worth a, a potential top 10 pick? I would say yes, but if he never reaches that, then there's an argument to be made that definitely would not trade a top 10 pick for a guy that is you know, not going to end up being that good of a player, right? So it's it's really tough. DK Metcalf's in a big gray area, in my opinion, right now, because there's a lot of uncertainties to his game. How you're describing that sounds exactly like how I'm hearing Cardinals fans talk about Kyler Murray, which is if he reaches his potential, he's worth 45 million a year. But if he doesn't, then, you know, DK Metcalf is a is a Kyler Murray of wide receivers. That is absolutely true. Ooh, that's interesting. That is interesting because, gosh, I guess DK Metcalf is in that camp, right? Like they're both young, but also we kind of agree they're already near the top 10. If they're not already at the top 10, they're also both 24 years old. Fun little fact there, both in the same draft class. I kind of see what you're saying there, right? Like at what price is the place that they're at right now? And that's kind of an interesting place for the, for both of those situations. Not that Kyler Murray is going to get traded. Kyler Murray, the, the Cardinals are going to tell him to go pound sand before they, uh, before they trade him. But DK Metcalf, the Seahawks at least have an incentive to listen because just the positions they play, even if DK Metcalf is the Kyler Murray of wide receivers, um, DK Metcalf doesn't impact a game the same way a star quarterback ends up impacting a game. So obviously Kyler Murray would get traded for more than say DK Metcalf would get traded for. It's just interesting how they are kind of in those gray areas of at what price do we choose to extend them and still compete under the salary cap. Right. In terms of value, obviously, it's going to be a lot different due to positions. But in terms of like how their play is for their position, both of them are looking at being, you know, I would say definitely top 12, potentially top 10 players at their positions. Right. They're both very, very young and I still think have a lot of untapped potential in their game. But also you you, you do recognize that are they ever going to be in the top five? I think it's a big question mark. Right. You don't really know that. So their question. So they still have a lot of like. I would say the jury's still out on a lot of uh, a lot of their plays. Like obviously, we've we've heard rumors that maybe Kyler Murray wouldn't be the future of the Cardinals when it comes to being a quarterback, right? But is he willing? Is he worth it enough to be traded 
I doubt it, right? You don't want to trade Kyler mm-hmm. Murray and lose a potential of, of losing a potential top 12 mm-hmm. quarterback, right? Same exact thing goes for DK Metcalf. Obviously, if he's not going to, um, you know, if, if you don't have a good quarterback next to him, are you going to rely on him enough to be your receiver of the future? I really don't know. But at the same time, you don't want to trade him and risk the chance of losing him because this is a guy that could be a top five receiver in the future. You never know. So every time we talk about Kyler Murray in this way and I have a disagreement with someone, I always give them the Kyler Murray test. And so I think I, in my mind, I want to try and create the DK Metcalf test right now so I can kind of figure out, except it's hard to judge wide receivers because I feel like wide receivers five through 15 are all like not, not basically the same. Like they all do different things. They're all equally as valuable. I think that's kind of how I view that one is like, there's so many valuable true wide receiver ones that they're very similar to each other. But when I do the Kyler Murray test, I think we did this before. It's like, would you rather have Kyler Murray or Justin Herbert? Justin Herbert. Would you rather have Kyler Murray or Dak Prescott? Kyler Murray. Would you rather have Kyler Murray or Kirk Cousins? Kyler Murray. Would you rather have Kyler Murray or Derek Carr? Kyler Murray. Would you rather have Kyler Murray or a Matthew Stafford? <sighs> Depends on if my team's a win now. <laughs> okay. So that's kind of, that's, that's the answer to where you figure out how people feel about Kyler Murray is that you have Kyler Murray, like tier two to tier two and a half is kind of where Kyler Murray is. He's like, he's not quite tier three, Kirk cousins or Derek Carr, but he's not quite tier two, Russell Wilson, Justin Herbert. I guess you have Russell Wilson as tier three. So I guess Justin Herbert, Dak Prescott kind of is tier two. Um, And that's kind of what I'm thinking about with Metcalf. So if I'm making this up in my head, DK Metcalf or Justin Jefferson? Justin Jefferson. DK Metcalf or Keenan Allen? Ooh. (laughs) Ooh. Ah, that's tough. I I would probably take Metcalf if I had the same quarterback. Interesting. Interesting. DK Metcalf or Mike Evans? Oh God. I would, man, I'm not going to lie. I'd probably take Metcalf as well. Ooh, that's interesting. You have him higher than I would, but I, I see. Okay. So it's it's the same thing with Matthew Stafford to Kyler Murray. Right. But Mm -hmm. the only difference is right now, man, I don't know. Maybe I'm jumping the gun here because well, I would definitely say Mike Evans and Keenan Allen at their point in the career right now are better receivers than DK Metcalf. But if I'm taking DK Metcalf with the same quarterbacks that those two players have, I think their prediction could be pretty close to the same. Okay. That's kind of where I'm thinking about it too, is like he's solid wide receiver one. But if I ask you right now, who are the five best wide receivers in the NFL? Who would you name? And could you get to five before you'd have a debate? Okay, so Devontae Adams, for sure. Tyreek Hill, for sure. Um, I would argue Justin Jefferson's already there. I, this is bold, I would say Jamar Chase is already there as a top five receiver right now. Small sample size, but understandable. Yeah, I I would think last, um, who am I missing? Uh, DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins, Cooper Cup. um, Oh, that's right, yeah. Debo Samuel, uh, those are definitely like seven of the top, 10 guys um, trying to think of anyone else. I mean, Keenan Allen's up there. Uh, Mike Evans is up there. Um, AJ Brown. AJ Brown's up there. But see, sure. now we're getting into the mix of guys where it's yeah. like you it's get, 
Yeah, but they're all wide receiver ones. They're just, we know as great as Keenan Allen is, we know he's not as good as Tyree Kill. And as great as, uh, who do we say, A.J. Brown, as great as A.J. Brown is, we know he's not as good as Justin Jefferson. And that's kind of where the separation is for me. It's like, there's about, because we can keep going down that list. Like we can go to C.D. Lamb, who's obviously in that mix. And we can go to Stephon Diggs, who we didn't even mention in there. Like those guys are all in that wide receiver one camp also. But we know, well, I guess not all of us know Stefan Diggs is better than Tyree Kill, but most of us assume Tyree Kill is better than Stefan Diggs. And that's kind of the wide receiver one camp that I guess I put DK Metcalf in. When I say like wide receivers five through 15, they do different things, but they're all very similar in my head where they give you equal value. Right. Yeah. And it, uh, a lot I of it think- depends on quarterback. Yeah, yeah, right. The quarterback is such a key factor in this. So that's that's the main main difference between obviously DK Metcalf and Kyler Murray is with quarterback is such a fine line between how good a player is. Right, there's so many different traits and attributes and plays that can define what we think of as a quarterback. Right. Well, with a wide receiver, you're only getting targeted maybe if you're wide receiver one, you're probably getting targeted maybe 12, 14 times a game, right? So there's a lot less that you're being looked at. And maybe if you're hot for a couple of games straight, all of a sudden you're one of the top receivers in the league, right? So you could argue maybe Jamar Chase was just hot. Maybe Debo Samuel was just hot. You don't know. But it's because that there's not a lot, a big fine line. With, with quarterbacks, there's such a greater sample size. You do notice their strengths and weaknesses a lot more in game, right? You, you get to see a lot more consistency or inconsistencies in their games. And you get to figure out what, what attributes that they're good at, what attributes they really aren't good at, what attributes. There's a much finer line between how good a quarterback can be compared to what we think of a, as a wide receiver being, I would argue, right? Because and you can you can essentially remove a wide receiver from a game while it's really difficult to remove a quarterback from a game like right. you know the, the joke on DK Metcalf is every time he plays the Rams he's like two catches for 17 yards because he's going up against Jalen Ramsey and he's not and, a fine route runner right and he's not going to get blamed for that because maybe you know a couple of weeks later he goes for 200 yards all of a sudden and then it pretty much just completely negates that last game to his stat line right because if, if you take a 200 yard game and a 17 yard game you combine that it's going to be an average of 100 yards a game and that's going to be considered great right yes so it's it's much easier to game plan yes right so uh, it's much easier for a receiver to to have a a receiver that has a couple of great games for example jamar chase is a great example of this he had two really really good games one against the chiefs one against the the ravens he combined those two games for i believe 420 430 yards right you take away those two games he's not even a top 30 receiver in the league right now right i mean that that's that's crazy so just those two games defined him from being what i would consider uh, you know had he not had those two games he would go from what i think many people would consider a top maybe 25 receiver to now a guy that i think could be an argument for top 10 yeah and by the way that's the other reason why a lot of fantasy people and smart analytical football people think jamar chase is going to regress kind of significantly next season but Time will tell on that one. Small sample size. I think everyone wants to just get one of the 10, right? Like, so we gave 10 and I could probably keep going. Like if you wanted to get to, um, I guess we got 12. I guess we got to AJ Brown, I guess was 12 on that list. So we got to like 12 or 13 of those guys. And then you can throw Kelsey and Kittle in the mix, even though they're not true receivers. Like they're still just super weapons who are as skilled as a bunch of those guys. So like, I guess at that point, like if you take those guys Everyone wants to get one of those guys. And 
the demand for those, I mean, because they're available, everyone's going out and giving up a whole lot for them because apparently Christian Kirk's are worth 22 million. Now when Christian Kirk isn't worth 22 million, that's just what the Jaguars paid for Christian Kirk to be their wide receiver one. When we all know Christian Kirk definitely isn't one of those 15 guys, but it made it seem like everyone's trying to get one of those 15 guys now. Right. And, and we're going to see it very, very soon where guys like Chris Godwin and T Higgins, who maybe not are wide receiver ones in their team, but very well could be on another team are going to get huge markets, right? We saw Tampa Bay just tag Chris Godwin. They know that they were not going to be able to outbid another T for Chris Godwin. He was going to get a lot of money somewhere else. Had they not franchise tagged him? That's well, the plus the torn ACL. Like I think he did sign with the bucks for like three years, 50 mil, but I think that's because of the torn ACL, right? Like that's the mm-hmm. other thing that messes with it. That, 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 that also played a big factor, but when, once he's able to be, be, be back into free agency, right, th- this is a team that is going to have a lot of troubles trying to re-sign him unless they're able to get him before the free agency free agency period it's over this is gonna be the exact same problem with t higgins who i would argue could also have a big argument to already being being a top 15 receiver as well he could be a part of that list because i really think that he's another very good receiver that not many people talk about but if you gave him the amount of targets he can get per game this guy could go for a thousand four hundred yards a season i mean that that is crazy to say but it's certainly possible with the way he's played whenever he's got the ball targeted to him a lot so there's a big argument on whether or not maybe a team would go after a guy like t higgins instead in the next couple of years and offer him a huge contract. As a Bengals fan, I really think Cincinnati needs to be a lot more worried about trying to lock down T. Higgins than what they should be concerned right now with trying to get Jesse Bates for a long-term contract, right? I would think, in my opinion, T. Higgins is going to be a better prospect for the long-term. And it's probably something that you need more. Because I, I really think what separates the Bengals from some other teams right now in terms of how well they play is the fact that they have two elite receivers on their team while other teams had normally have you know one reliable guy, maybe two two pretty solid guys, right? I think the great football teams normally have two really, really good weapons that they can use to attack with. And you need to keep those two weapons at all costs, which is why I think for Cincinnati, it's very, very important. Maybe you were able to keep T. Higgins down the line. Well, you say at all costs, but the Dolphins just gave up three first round picks, a second round pick, and $120 million to get those two lockdown weapons. So it does that count as all costs? That is all costs. That is interesting. You go all in on two guys that you can rely on to be good enough to win. I mean, the the Dolphins, well, okay, so this is tough because the Dolphins also beautifully masterminded how they were going to be able to do this because they were able to trade Laramie Tunsil for practically three first round picks, right? So that changes a lot. They got really lucky here, right? Yeah, but that's fair. For a normal football team, if you're giving up that much, you're ruining your entire future for two weapons, right? That, that's your entire future for just two guys on your football team. And that is a huge, huge commitment. That is almost the equivalent to get, giving up all that for a top 10 quarterback, right? I mean, so you're, you're blowing everything up just to try to get two receivers who you could trust to pair alongside a, a, a quarterback. So I really think that, you know, maybe because the Dolphins had already ensured that they were going to have a future still, they still have first round picks the next couple of years. So maybe it's not all in technically, but that's still, you're looking at value wise. That is a big, big, big commitment towards two guys that really, I mean, are you going to trust them to be great? I don't know, but they can, I mean, they're definitely great. I mean, Tyree kills top five, Jalen Waddle's top 20. These are going to be great receivers for the future. I just, with the quarterback play, you're going to be, you, you're trading a lot just to rely on Tua, you know? 
Yeah. And well, no, actually, because now we know it's Tom Brady next year. Tom Brady next year is what they're going to go for is 46 year old Tom Brady. (laughs) That's what they're going to go for. Now that we know that all the reports were true. Tom Brady only retired because he was trying to get a minority ownership stake in the Dolphins. And when the Brian Flores lawsuit dropped, uh, Tom Brady basically just went, tried to force his way to San Francisco after that. When San Francisco told him, no, he just went back to the Bucks and got Bruce Arians basically to retire because that was the power move Tom Brady made trying to get Sean Payton to go with him to the Saints or to the Dolphins. Right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's, I mean, so it's Tyree kill Jalen Waddle and 46 year old Tom Brady. They gave up all those picks and money for four. So that 46 year old Tom Brady may have the privilege to come play for your team under Mike McDaniel. <laughs> who, <laughs> I believe it's younger than him, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Mike McDaniel's yeah. like 41. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> who really is the coach here, right? It's going to be Tom Brady next. Year. Well, Tom Brady can also bring in his own coach, but still like, there. I just, I, oh, if they fired Mike McDaniel, I'll be upset. Mike McDaniel. I know they're going to try and I know they're going to try and retool the offense that way, but Mike McDaniel was there playing D <laughs> the, yeah. when, when the, when the, the Flores thing happened. So first of all, they tried to get Sean Payton. Then they tried to get Harbaugh. Then they interviewed Brian Dayball and Dayball chose the giants. So McDaniel was there playing D option. I don't think they're necessarily tied in love with Mike McDaniel at this point, if they're going to get Tom Brady, but I am, I love Mike McDaniel. <laughs> He needs to be their coach. <laughs> uh, sure, sure. We can we can do Plan C. Miami Dolphins. Tua was their Plan C. Waddle was their Plan C. Mike McDaniel was their Plan D. Might as well just go ahead and do it. Tyree Kill was technically a Plan Plan A, technically because Tyree Kill's everyone's Plan A. But they did have to overpay to get him. But like you said, they got five first round picks for Laramie Tunsil. So. That that is a competitive advantage that allows you to give up three first round picks and a second round pick and all of your cap space for Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. I just love how every time we talk about Laramie Tunsil's trade, it always goes up picks. We're gonna go from three first round picks to four first round picks to five first round picks. No, it was basically round. five now. No. So so the original trade was two firsts and a second. So right. that was the year that the Texans were so bad that the, the second rounder was like pick 35. So like technically right. a second rounder, but basically first round talent at second round prices. Yes. And the Dolphins traded down, right? Yep. They got three first round picks yeah. to and trade down doing it. <laughs> yep. And then they traded back. They traded two of them to get Waddle who I basically call him Jarvis Landry, but they traded two picks for Jarvis Landry. And then they traded the the 49ers pick this year and their second round pick to get Tyree kill. So yeah, interesting choices all around. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the dolphins is just masterfully traded. That is something that we have talked about enough, how well the dolphins have done in their off season. It's shocking that they still have not been able to win a playoff game yet with all they've done. And it's just mainly due to the fact that they, they picked the wrong quarterback. <laughs> I'd like oh. to go the other way. Well, they picked the wrong quarterback and then tried to get Tom Brady and didn't get Tom Brady. But I would right. like to point out that the Houston Texans have now funded three different franchises, most successful runs of their last 15 yep. years. Cause they gave the dolphins five first round picks. And as even though the dolphins haven't made the playoffs, it's been the most successful. The dolphins have been in 15 years. Arizona got Hopkins and JJ Watt for a second round pick and David Johnson and Cleveland got Deshaun Watson. 
So they've now funded with, with a team that was up 24-0 on the Chiefs in the, in the AFC Championship game two years ago. They funded three different franchises' most successful runs of the last 15 years. It's, that's just uh, Bill O'Brien for you. <laughs> It's the most well. It's also a team pastor running the franchise. It's again. They, we need to we need to talk about this more. I I can't emphasize enough just how insane it is. Because I used to say baseball wise, the Detroit Tigers were the worst run franchise in baseball, or I'm sorry, the worst run franchise in all of North American sports. And then the Texans just took that mantle from them. Because I'm like, it's just it's it's incredible mismanagement. It's just, it's the most incredible kind of mismanagement. And by the way, they're now in year three of a five-year rebuild and they've fired three coaches in three years. They're about to fire a fourth in Lovey Smith too. Yeah, no, he's lasting one year. Um, Davis Mills is probably going to last, what, you think, you think one year as well? Until they find a better option, like until they can find anything better than Davis Mills. (laughs) It's just the Texans are just a... I, I have a friend who's a Texans fan. I feel so sorry for him. It's so bad. <laughs> just get, just quit. That's the thing I tell Texans right. fans. Even if like some teams go through three-year rebuilds and it doesn't work, like the Giants right now, like under the best case scenario, you're still three years away. And it's been two years of shit before. Like it's five years. It's not worth it. It's not worth five years of a rebuild just for a chance that the team pastor is going to pick players correctly. Just just quit. There's no reason to root for that franchise. Just there's no reason to subject yourself to that. No payoff at the end could possibly be worth five years of losing just for a fraction of a chance that they get the picks right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. You're, you're totally right. So I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I don't blame, I don't blame fans for moving on. My, my friend is a Texans fan. He is a Texans fan. I will credit him. He has been a Texans fan since this entire process. But ironically, his favorite player in the NFL is Jonathan Taylor. So, <laughs> so all of a sudden, now this guy's just watching Colts games out of nowhere because he's so bored with how bad the Texans are. He doesn't care. <laughs> but know? Houston also, Houston is also the city that I will remind people again. Remember when the Astros had those three years where they were just tanking, like, historically badly and then it prompted a dynasty that took the Yankees crown as the best team in baseball. Yep. Um Houston registered 0.0 ratings on those games. There there were there were games that had 0.0 television ratings in the Houston area. Literally That's nobody watched crazy. the Astros games. <laughs> so those texts that's Texan stadium. I made the joke all last year back when we had the Instagram page, that stadium was so empty. It was so ridiculously empty. Yeah. They, they had a Thursday night game against Carolina. Oh my God. It was like 20% filled. It was so sad to watch that game. It was just an empty stadium. And it should be. It should be empty for five years, and the McNairs Absolutely. should sell the team. Absolutely. Yes. No arguments here. No arguments here for me. I, I agree. Absolutely. I, I'm sorry. I'm just very. I. I really think we need to talk more about that Texans team because again, they you got passionate there. <laughs> they were up 24-0 in the AFC Championship game, and they were going to play cool. the Titans at home in the conference championship game. Oh, yeah. yeah. They were going to go to the Super Bowl, yep. and t- two years later, it's over. 
and they they funded Cleveland and Miami and Arizona's most successful runs of the past 15 years. It was crazy. It's just crazy how all of it fell apart so quick. I mean, just just as quickly as a team can go from being bad to being great, it can also be the exact opposite. You can go from being a great football team to now one of the worst football teams in the NFL in just an instant. An instant. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Mismanagement. It's called minor league football or perpetually mediocre. It's about yep. eight to 10 of those teams. And one of them, the Jets, is trying to give up all of their capital for DK Metcalf, which is, <laughs> this is the other thing that I said about these trades, which is, the, the Chiefs, the Packers, and the Seahawks are trading to the Raiders, Dolphins, and Jets. Who do we think is going to end up being the winners in these situations? Who's on the right side of this and who's not on the right side of this? <laughs> Obviously, the teams that you know are, are better traders in, in the long run, right? Like, are you going to trust the Jets or the Raiders to make a competent decision? Absolutely not. <laughs> Jets, Raiders, Dolphins versus Seahawks, Packers, and Chiefs. The three models of stability with Hall of Famers all across their organizations and the Raiders, the Jets, and the Dolphins as your alternatives. I assume that it leads me to think that, you know, going back to the wide receiver point, it leads me to think that people, we, na- people now realize that having one of the top 15 quarterbacks is the answer in the NFL now. Like you have to have one of those top 12 to 15 guys at quarterback. And if you can't get one of those, your next best option is to get the wide receivers that might develop the quarterback. And I guess like it's better than nothing. It's just if if you're the Dolphins, if you're the Jets, if you can't get one of those top why uh, top quarterbacks, I guess they're kind of throwing themselves at top wide receivers and saying that's the next best thing when I don't think it's really the next best thing. Yeah, no, that, that is, that is true. And I mean, I, I, I think another, you know, big factor is, I mean, like these are teams that I think have such great, uh, you, you look at teams like the, the Chiefs, the Packers, they, they've already committed so much cap space towards their great quarterbacks and stuff. Obviously, also putting it all towards one wide receiver is, is such a huge risk for those teams. Being able to maybe try to reset and get younger rookies to match up with these quarterbacks making so much money makes most sense in terms of creating balance in their rosters, right? While other teams um, maybe don't understand balance and they just see the big talent and they get their eyes to be glowing and stars and just see like, oh, Tyree Kill or Devontae Adams. I'm going to put all my assets into getting that guy. And all of a sudden, you know, maybe they maybe they overcommitted a little too much because we see a lot of overcommitment now in the NFL. We we see Carson Wentz destroying that franchise. We see <laughs> Matt Ryan destroying a franchise. Right? We're seeing way too much overcommitments, and I think now the receiver market starting to blow up. All of a sudden, we might be seeing a couple of receiver markets. Our receivers start to blow up other franchises. Maybe this Tyreek Hill thirty million AAV is going to be a big reason why the Dolphins can never find another quarterback. That could be a big that could be a big factor in in, in why. So it, it'll be yeah. interesting to see how the how teams are able to handle this in the future. But it, it could definitely hurt them. This this it's a big risk for these teams. I, I, like you said, I'm I am still taking the side of the Packers, Chiefs every single day over a Raiders, Dolphins team for these trades. I, I just am. Yeah, I mean, it, it, historically, there's a good chance we're going to be correct there. Although maybe one of us will will take the side of the teams, and that will be the changing of the guard in the NFL. That 30 years of curses will be lifted by finally realizing that wide receivers are more valuable than quarterbacks in some of these situations. Maybe we were all doing it wrong for 25 years. It's, it's at least possible because uh, 
you know, Cooper Cup did just win Super Bowl MVP. So it, it's at least theoretically possible that with a great court, with a great wide receiver and a tier two and a half quarterback and the greatest defensive player any of us have ever seen, then and a Hall of Fame head coach, maybe you two can win a Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm convinced no matter how good certain rosters are, the Browns, the Raiders, the Jets are never going to win a Super Bowl again. It's just never going to happen. I disagree because we used to make that same joke about the Eagles and the Eagles ended up getting it. So I think, you know, Buffalo is proof that you just need to hit one time. Maybe Buffalo. Yeah. Also, changing your ownership helps because True. changing ownership changes yes. a lot. That, that, that sh- I should clarify that it, it, until they change ownerships, it'll never happen. Yes. Which, by the way, did did I tell you the stat about the average tenure of an NFL owner? No. Okay. So the average head coach in an NFL gets about four years on the job. Average general manager gets six to seven years. Average owner tenure in the NFL is 39 years. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me one bit. I, I, when was the last time an owner sold a team? Was who was it? Um, I think it was, I think it was Tepper with the Panthers when Jerry Richardson had that me too stuff that quietly went away. I think that was the last one. Um, I, uh, the bills one is the one I bring up all the time because the Pagulias bought the team from the old Ralph Wilson family trust. And like their second try, like they hired Rex Ryan and it didn't work, but their second try, they got Brandon Bean and they got Sean McDermott and developed a good organizational culture. And then all of a sudden completely changed all of their, you know, it changed their fortunes for an entire generation, right? Yeah. Like they have the, the they have one of the, the three special quarterbacks and Diggs gets a contract extension and they draft well. And now Buffalo is like a, a desirable organization that Von Miller wants to go to. And Stefan Diggs wants to spend the rest of his career with. And I think the ownership change, it, it happened faster than say trying all over again, the way they did for like 20 years. I think the ownership change probably had more to do with fixing that too. Yeah, that, that's, that's very true. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I truly believe that like, you know, it, it's, it's weird how it works because you would imagine maybe the better coach or GMs normally have the more successful teams, right? But it all starts in ownership, right? If you don't have good owners who aren't willing to put enough in the team to be great, those teams are never going to be good, right? And that's why all teams really need a great owner who's willing to put the team first and make the moves necessary to be great. And that's exactly how the bills were. Uh, that's how we see other teams end up becoming great and staying great. We even see it in like MLB. MLB is a great example. The, you know, the owners of the Dodgers, the Yankees, guys like that, they're, they're always going all in to get the best free agents possible, right? And then you compare it to owners like uh, the Cincinnati Reds, for example. It comes full circle all the way back to the beginning of this podcast, <laughs> right? Who are just selling all of their players and getting rid of everyone and don't care because they want to save money. Also, good different. organizational culture helps too, because right. uh, you know we we talk about all the franchises that are kind of toxic, and Tepper might be moving in that direction too. Like, just because you get a new owner doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a better owner. Tepper looks That's like true. he's he's kind of a bad idea there, but you just hope that your team is one of the ones that doesn't have a meddlesome owner, right? Like the the thing that Belichick always said about Bob Kraft is like Bob Kraft never really intervened compared to other owners. Like other coaches would complain, oh God, my owner wants this, this, and this. And 
you know, they aren't as qualified as the people that they're hiring to make football decisions or make coaching decisions. And so just letting the people you hire do their jobs and don't meddle can sometimes be the best use of your power and good leadership. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there are definitely ways that owners can be carried by other, you know, other people to be great. And there's also ways that maybe um, good owners can have problems with trying to get other good talent. So there is definitely other factors to it for sure. I will, I'll Just definitely hire good people. Hiring good people will make you look smart if you are there someone you in a position of power uh, until, until Tom Brady went over Bill Belichick's head and got Jimmy Garoppolo traded. And that was the beginning of the end of the Patriots as we knew it, because then Bill Belichick <laughs> Jimmy and Bob Garoppolo Kraft, being the end to the Patriots. That's funny. I mean, they still won two Super Bowls afterwards, but still it was the beginning of the end for the Patriots was the, the rife, the Robert Kraft intervening on behalf of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick giving away Garoppolo for less. And then, letting Brady walk in the end anyways was the beginning of the end of the Patriots was when Tom Brady started flexing his power. He dismantled the Patriots and tried to dismantle the Buccaneers and then jump ship to go own part of the team with the Miami dolphins. Yep. Yep. So yeah, I mean, it's just, it's fun to look at all that in hindsight and we'll have to see how all these owners do, of course, before I guess I, uh, I judge them all, but I, yes. I will, I, I'm staying with my uh, argument that the reds need to sell their the Reds owners need to sell the team to someone else who will put the Reds first. Well, you mentioned, you mentioned that my Padres were always the team that would be kind of like the Reds where they just kind of field a team to make profit and they're always terrible. And then they got new owners and now they spend like the Dodgers. And I'm like, Oh, how about that? I have a team that actually spends tons of money now. It's kind of cool. And we're, you know, we're, we're kind of mediocre, but at least it's better than the teams of my childhood with Everett Cabrera and Kevin Kuzman off winning 71 games a year. Yeah. I, well, yeah. Let, let's just start a GoFundMe and all like raise money to all collectively be the Cincinnati Reds owners. So that way we can make the moves. <laughs> right? People tried to do that with the Mets a while back. I think they got a... I believe it was like $262 trying to raise a GoFundMe <laughs> to buy the New York Mets. Hey, if you're $262, you know, more, more rich, I mean, I'll, I'll take that, right? I'll make one. <laughs> yeah. You know, you just got to hope that the next one who buys the team is not going to be as bad as the one before. You got you to gotta hope that you find someone who's in it just to, to pour money into it, like the Clippers got with Steve Ballmer or you know, the Dodgers have, or the Astros or someone like that. I don't know. Football's kind of weird in that way. Cause football's made it. So even if owners want to do that, they can't really anymore just because of the way the salary cap works and stuff. So football's hard to find examples of that. Cause they've rigged the system in such a way that everyone is kind of confined to the same rules. I'm sorry, but how horrible of a person do you have to be to be an owner of a team and not try to win? Like that's just hey. not fun. Hey, well, that's the thing. These franchises are so valuable now that it's all about making money. It's about increasing shareholder value. And that's, that's the thing that kind of sucks. Instead of making the, the football teams, the owners toys that they can play with and win championships and get clout. It's, it's about making money and being a profitable franchise. I don't like it. I don't either, but that's what a salary <laughs> cap does. That's what college football is for, is for irrationally rich people or rich people to just be irrationally passionate about college sports teams. That's what college football is for. College football is for just spending irrational amounts of money on football and basketball. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I just wish everything was like Madden and where you can just, you know, we see trades every day and have a lot of fun. <laughs> That's yeah, just, it would be, again, not having a salary cap would be so much more fun. Could you imagine how much money they would pay for Patrick Mahomes if he was on a free and open market with no salary cap? Oh my God, he would get hundred he would get hundreds of millions of dollars per year if there was a free and open market that that i mean that would be ideal it's just you definitely i mean it definitely creates big imbalance because there's gonna be a lot more teams who are gonna put a lot more money into the, the leagues than other teams yes. but then you have would, true that, minor league football then the cardinals right. and the jets and the jaguars would truly be minor league it football. turns into college football is what it does uh-huh <laughs> Exactly. Rice versus Alabama. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. But sometimes teams just choose to subject themselves to that now, which is the thing I say about the Cardinals is like, we don't, we don't feel comfortable paying Kyler Murray 45 million a year. Don't you want to find out? (laughs) Like, don't you want to, don't you want to know if he's going to be special instead of trading him now? Like if you trade him now, you're resigned to the fact that you're never going to get to see it. Don't you want to at least find out if he's the special player? Right. Instead of just being a minor league system for everyone else. Right. Always wait until the last possible moment. Right. I mean, I I guess there's a chance that like maybe you can get more value now because there's teams that do believe that. But if you're a team like the Cardinals with with a quarterback, obviously, you don't want to. I mean, you're not going to go anywhere if you don't resign Kyler Murray. So what's, what's the hurt to just wait until maybe you can figure out the real answer of whether or not you want to, you know, because Kyler sense. Murray is the one assuming the risk. I, if I'm Kyler Murray, I'm not playing another game until I get that contract. Cause you're taking a $150 million risk by very not true. signing the contract now. Very, very true. It's just yeah. Kyler Murray trying to checkmate the Cardinals into giving him the contract, which I don't think it's going to work for him, but maybe he'll be willing to, you know, be the bad guy and force his way out of Arizona then. Yeah. And sometimes players have to, we, we've seen that a lot in the league now. It's, it's a, uh, it's a new league and it's crazy how it all that works. Power to the players, at least the ones who have power, which is about 15 of them, but power to the 15 of them <laughs> who actually have power. Yeah. I, I, I would say, yeah, 15 is a good, 15 I mean, good number. Jarvis Landry tried to force his way out of the Browns and he ain't been signed by anyone yet. So maybe on bell. <laughs> <laughs> yep, didn't work. Le'Veon Bell didn't have the power. Antonio Brown honestly, like four times. Yeah, I mean, I don't even think Tyreek Hill had the power. Like the Chiefs just gave him what he wanted, but I don't really think they had to do that no. to Tyreek Hill. Nope. Yeah, yep, it's crazy. The Chiefs just saw the value in getting the extra cap space and the draft picks. Like they, I, I think if they had told Tyreek Hill to pound sand, I don't even think Tyreek Hill could have forced his way out of Kansas City. Yeah, uh, I don't. I, you're probably right, and but I think overall it might have been the smarter decision for Kansas City too. In hindsight, so well, I mean, yeah, it, t- it took Devontae Adams two years to get <laughs> to get out of Green Bay. <laughs> like Devontae right. Adams oh, couldn't yeah. even get out. Best of Green receiver Bay. in the league, and it took him that long, right? So yeah. hard. It took him two years to get his guaranteed money. He had to play almost on a franchise tag to get out. Like he, he they did the whole last dance thing and posted the Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan photos and refused to come to the contract table. Like it took him two years to get out of Green Bay. He had to play a fourth year when he could have signed a contract extension and gotten hurt and lost his money. Like it took him a long time and he's the best receiver in the NFL, like you said. Right. Yeah. It's only, I mean, it's it's just quarterbacks nowadays, right? Or or quarterbacks and Aaron Donald. It's quarterbacks and Aaron Donald. And TJ Watt. 
Yeah, I guess TJ Watt, TJ Watt, they'll, they'll be those guys. Except TJ Watt's the lunch pail guy who, if you've heard the reports, he apparently showed up to uh, his contract negotiations and said, look, let's just get it done with already. And then went out to training camp, if you've heard the legend of TJ Watt. Um, but if he wanted to make things ugly, he could have made things ugly with the Steelers. Yeah. I mean, TJ Watt is going to, uh, you know, he's going to do whatever he can do to, uh, I guess I'd be a piece of Steelers for the future. I don't know. I, I respect that. I respect it. Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, everyone's different. So I think Miles sure. Garrett probably also. I think we did this already. Who are the 15 like game changing players in the NFL? Miles oh, yeah, Garrett yeah. could probably do it. Um, right. Well, we also put Devontae Adams in that conversation as well, even though he, you know, technically, I guess, according to leagues, really isn't then. Yeah, Derrick Henry could probably do it. But yeah, you're right. That's about it. We didn't even give it to Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey did force his way out of Jacksonville, and it took him a while to do that too. But maybe True. maybe Jalen Ramsey's in that camp. Yeah, it's possible. Um, although I don't know if he would be for the Rams. I don't know if the Rams care about him that much uh, as a franchise guy because they already have a franchise guy and Aaron Donald. So, you know, maybe yeah. maybe not. But for other teams, yeah. I mean, he, he is the best corner in, in the league right so obviously it's going to be yeah. a higher value for that well i'm sorry we didn't get to use much of your draft expertise today but it was a fun two-hour podcast either way i appreciate it i'm already watching the reds I'm getting ready for this opening <laughs> game, day game sorry for delaying your game mine doesn't start for another two hours so i'm not really uh not i wasn't really paying that close attention to the time on oh, that you're good you're good it just started so you're all good not a problem <laughs> <laughs>